0: dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring
2: the thrilling adventures of superman
0: golden age superman
2: the superman fan podcast
3: superman in the bronze age
2: from crisis to crisis a
3: superman podcast i've got a few things to say about superman the superman vidcast the world's best podcast and radio kale from supermanhomepage.com
0: as well as the audio dramas superman last son of krypton and supergirl last daughter of krypton from pendant audio production join hosts michael
3: bradley john wilson billy hogan Charlie Niemeyer
1: J. David Weeder,
3: Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Kamen Stoll. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Yunus
0: and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com dot Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-el came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over
3: as Superman. Superman.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only show on the internet featuring Superman's adventures between 1970 and 1986. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and today I am joined by two other longtime Superman podcasters who are making their very first appearance on the show. First up is the host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which is the longest-running weekly Superman podcast on the net, and the artist of the webcomic Slipstream from Clockwork Comics. Please welcome Billy Hogan to the show
4: Yay! Hi everybody, Yay. glad to
0: be here Yay! And our other guest is a co-host on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast And Green Lantern's Light, which is a Green Lantern podcast if you couldn't tell by the title Plus he also writes the Countdown to the Man of Steel articles at Movies.com And is a staff writer for the Superman homepage And is the writer for Slipstream from Clockwork Comics, Ladies and Germs Mr. Jeffrey Taylor. I guess I just do too much. Yeah, I, ah, I almost couldn't say that in one breath.
2: That was that—that was quite the list, and it's it's difficult to hear the list and then <laughs> think, "Wow, I actually do all that stuff." A lot of it's on like a weekly basis too. Yeah. But it, it, it's it's kind of funny. The three of us are the ones who work on slipstream.
0: Yes, I was actually going to mention that the only one. Uh, let's see. I'm the colorist, and we got the writer and the artist. And The only one we're missing, sigh, is our editor. Adam, yeah, the the channel, the channel, How the say channel, yeah, the channel, and
2: yeah, he's he's not as important though. He's
0: well, yeah, he, he doesn't he, matter. He doesn't
2: really do anything.
0: Yeah, he just just bugs us about making sure we have it ready in time. I really hope he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, he's not here with us today, partially because I had only extended the invitation out to podcasters, and as far as I know, he isn't one. So I didn't invite him As so, far as you know Yeah, he does write for the Superman homepage Isn't he? One of the he's, reviewers or something
2: He's the, uh, other than Steve Eunice, He is the longest running existing Superman homepage staff member
0: There you go, see So I guess I should have ex- asked him to But I didn't, so sorry Adam But um, he is also the founder of Clockwork Comics And he writes and draws what, like two different books now? They're two different series? Or is it just the one?
4: I think um, uh, The Gifted was a uh, story he had done previously that kind of introduced his ongoing um, uh, education of a superhero, or EOS for short. Okay.
0: Okay, well, then he just does the one, but that comes out like twice a week. Of course, he's not coloring it, so maybe that's part of it, but... Yeah,
2: and and the the universe is meant to actually tie together So that you can read a lot of the the books And be able to get that it's part of a cohesive universe But right now a lot of that is in the hinting And at least until we get done with this first arc of Slipstream And the origin story There's not really going to be crossover But there could be after that It's something to think about But we've got some time to think about it
0: Kind of like some of the early new 52 stuff I, I suppose. Okay. Not exactly, of course, but still. Um, and, of course, I also want to extend a shout-out to Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics. He was also going to be on the show with us today, but he preferred to go out drinking instead. Uh, something about a birthday. So, Cheers. thank you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um now, before we go any further, uh, I was gonna, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, I was going to get a little more background on you guys. So uh, since this is the first time Billy and Jeffrey have been on this show, um, my question to you guys is, first of all, uh, we'll start with Billy. How did you get into
4: comics in general and Superman in particular? Um, well, I can remember having comic books run even before... Uh, started school and learned how to read, and uh, I go back to the days when new comics were 12 cents, so that gives you a clue about how old I am, um, and I don't know, just Superman was always my favorite. I guess it was the red cape, uh, um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I, I even had a little Superman costume, although it didn't have a cape, so I used my I would borrow one of my dad's clean, uh, red bandana handkerchiefs. Um, I guess what helped, uh, uh, reinforce, you know, my love for Superman was the reruns of the old fifties, uh, uh, George Reeves Superman TV show. Um, uh, so, you know, I would, uh, so I've always leaned more towards DC, um, you know, until, um, you know, I also like Marvel, but always uh, Superman was always my favorite. Um, now, as after, as I got into high school, you know, I didn't really read as much. Uh, I wasn't that uh, thought I was too old for comic books, but uh, they were beginning to to. It was around the time they were starting to not be as uh, you know plentiful. You know, the racks weren't always around the. Uh, Supermarkets and uh, Jiffy stores, and uh, so I got out of comics for, you know, for a lot of years, and um, when uh, it was around 1990 during the Superman in Exile uh, story, when I got collecting comic books as an adult, and I've got a lot more comics now than I ever had as a kid. I just had like about a, a little stack on a shelf of them. And there was a uh, comic store. It was run by a guy named Todd, and his uh, older brother and mother also worked at the store. And uh, we had a new guy started at my work in my department who was really into comic books, and it just got me back into it. And the first Superman comic I got – It wasn't the latest one out that week, but I don't remember the number, but it was the Jerry Ordway cover, which was my first uh, exposure to his art. Uh, It was the black-and-white cover that had Superman on the front page of the Daily Planet and said uh, something like Superman missing or where Superman. And it was uh, mostly like a black-and-white cover, and I've been reading ever since. Um, I was – Except for there was a couple of years right around 2000 when there wasn't a local comic book shop, um, and uh, then there was another one came up, and then I got back into it. So uh, it, now there's uh, that store has gone out of business, but I've uh, go to one that's about a 45 minute drive from my house, but it's not. Uh, I don't have to go through city traffic, so that helps. Uh, it was
2: it was Adventures 451.
4: Uh, thank you. Yeah, um so I, I jumped back into Superman right in the middle of the Superman in Exile story. And it's uh one of my favorites. Oh, same here. Oh yeah.
0: So do you have a full on um do you have a complete collection of from a certain point or are you still working on that or
4: Um, I've got a, a couple of years gap in by two thousand to about 2003 or 4 but other than that I've got pretty I was able to go back and um, get all the uh, Superman books going back to John Burns Man of Steel miniseries and so I had a complete run of the early years and just haven't had the uh, money to go back and get the back issues to fill in um, you know fill in that gap
0: Okay, and do you have older uh, i 'm guessing since you have a show that covers the bronze, the gold the silver Age one of those eras do you have older books too or
4: yeah uh, not as many as uh you might think uh, i've been able to get uh, some of the ones that really stick in my memory from when I was a kid uh, i've got one box of the uh, short box of the older ones uh usually i've been using the um uh, Showcase presents reprints to go through the Superman stories.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. I just realized after I asked that it didn't want to get you in trouble if you were using, like, CBRs or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's awesome. Jeffrey, your turn.
2: Oh, uh, how did I get into comics, and especially Superman? Exactly. When I was a, I was a little kid, I think that I just thought comics were, were stupid and for for uneducated people. I don't know why I thought that. I, I think that it was just a uh, media and and a, a sort of a bias. But then I really got into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I started <laughs> buying those comics and that was where I first got into comics, but I didn't get into Superman comics till a little bit later. It all started with for me with the Superman movie. I loved the Christopher Reeve Superman movie and I think one of the things that reinforced that at least a little bit Besides the fact that I would dress up as Superman and then go to preschool when it wasn't Halloween. Yes, that's true. One of the things that reinforced it... Wait, wait. It,
0: you yeah. went to preschool even when it wasn't Halloween? Or you just I, dressed up as Superman when it was Halloween?
2: I dressed up as Superman even when it wasn't oh, Halloween. Oh, okay. So uh, you were a little yeah.
0: cosplayer. Nice.
2: A, l- a little bit, yeah. It, yeah cool. A you know, little red-headed stepchild cosplayer. Cool. But, um Yeah. And then when I was 7 and 8 years old one of the things that reinforced my love of Superman was that Christopher Eve's son Matthew was on my baseball team. And so and and all the parents would pitch at one time or another so I I can honestly say that I played baseball with Superman, which is kind of cool. And from there my my love of the movies never really waned, and when Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman came on TV, it got me back into Superman, and I felt like I, I needed more. I think there were about three or four episodes at that point, and I didn't want to have to wait till the next episode. So I was at a, a bookstore, and the Death and Life of Superman novelization by Roger Stern had just come out, and it w- it was in hardcover. So I pulled together all the money that I could, went out and bought the book, and that brought me into the world of the post-crisis Superman universe. And then I started getting the comics, I got some trade paperbacks of the older stuff, and got into more and more comics. And finally, I think I stopped at around the point when I was 16 years old, around 1996, because I had a girlfriend, I, at that point, was getting ready to go off to college a little bit early, and after college, Smallville came on, which... Made me realize, hey, I want to go back and read some more Superman books. And and by that time, I was living with my mother and making a decent amount of money. So almost all of it went towards comics, and that's that's where I amassed a lot of my collection. Now I've got I think forty eight long boxes worth. So Dang. quite a bit, yeah. More yeah. more than than uh, you know, house robbers could actually get away with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. did not bother with them.
2: Well, yeah, and. There's not a lot that's valuable, and I, I kind of space it out over the uh, the the collection, so it it's almost impossible to find. I can't even find this stuff. <laughs> and yeah, then then in around 2007, I started writing for the Superman homepage, and everything kind of blew up from there. All projects that I do now all grew out of that in
0: one way or another. Sweet. All right, so I was um I was thinking about asking them but I wasn't sure but I decided well I'll go ahead. Um so for both of you guys, I guess Billy and Jeffrey since you guys draw and write the comic Slipstream, um Billy, how did you get into your artwork or how did you get
4: into art? Um even when I was in elementary school, I liked to draw uh you know back then if we had spare time, I would like sit and draw you know like war scenes with tanks and planes and all that kind of stuff and i just always enjoyed drawing and um um you know i would make up my own superheroes and uh i had a a little notebook uh where i had like a checklist of names of heroes and i would work on designing their costumes and stuff and all through high school i took art classes and um uh, then I uh, went to the local community college and got a two-year degree in commercial art, and I've been working in uh, newspaper production, uh, pretty much since. Uh, after a couple years, afterwards, I f- got a job in uh, working at like a shopping guide, and now work at a uh, small-town uh, newspaper in the, the same county I live in. And um, I won't say the name, but I will say that, ironically enough, the initials of the newspaper are DC. Oh,
0: that's cool. Uh, and so, Jeffrey, how did you get into your writing?
2: Um, I, I think as a little kid, I always kind of wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write stories, and I would come up with plot lines. And, of course, once I got into comics, I, I really enjoyed doing that. By the time I was in... High school I started writing plays because I was heavily into theater and I ended up winning an award freshman year of college when I wrote a uh, an 80-page play in one month oh, wow. over over the over the holiday break and then I went on to direct it, and since I won the award and the award came with 100 dollars all of that money went into the the play itself because I think that the actual play went up a, a week after the award Oh, wow, okay, and but the thing about the the writing that I've done up to this point is that it's all very much steeped in the real world and it's all about characterization and uh the the events as as they happen. There's very little that's science fiction about it. I felt like I wanted to write comics, but I didn't know that I could necessarily really wrap my head around a superhero kind of story and when Adam said that he was looking for people to, to write stories and do do a comic. I thought that I would probably write a story, but then he said that he wanted it to be a superhero theme, and I was a little bit apprehensive about that, but I started thinking about it. I came up with an idea, and then I figured, you know what, this could make a, a comic book if I could find an artist, so I posted on Facebook about how I wanted to do a comic book, and, and I was looking for for an artist, and Billy came on and said that he that he would be He'd be interested I took a look at his art And it's almost exactly what I had in my head Oh, wow And so it was It it, it was a very, very cool experience Then I was like, yes, Billy, let's definitely do this And we had a couple of false starts As we were getting that first issue together The the first 12 pages There were a couple of different things that uh, I, I think Adam was trying to work out Things with a lot of other creators I think he probably had a good six or seven people who were interested in doing stories for what was going to, at that point, be a compendium. And we were the only ones following through. Oh, wow. And so that that's where Clockwork Comics kind of grew out of. It, it's still Adam's brainchild, uh, but
0: Slipstream is definitely all us. Okay, cool. And I get to come in and color it. Woo! And you're doing and a great job with that. Oh, well, yeah, thank fantastic. you very much. I've got to say, too, that... Um... After sending in the One or two sample pages I did Uh Once I got the high res Artwork from Billy He put so much detail in that artwork Yes Um I, It took me a while I've gotten I'm getting more, int- more into it now And it's getting a little quicker But when I was starting off It was taking me like Days to get through The art Just Not a complaint <laughs> But it was taking a few days To get um Finish with a page just because of all the little details and making sure the grass looked right against the sidewalk and all that kind of stuff. So I actually told him he's almost a George Perez.
2: <laughs> well, it's it, it's kind of funny because I've seen how both Billy and I have grown as comic book creators since the the beginning of that first issue, and and how much better I I've gotten with explaining. How I want like a a certain page To kind of look I still leave a lot up to Billy And he, he does a great job with that And by the time we get to where we are now In season 3 I'm just ecstatic about the pages that, that I'm seeing There's a bunch of stuff that I was kind of ambiguous about Like, I don't know, they're up on top of a nuclear reactor I I can't figure out a good location I want them to be up somewhere high That's not a mountaintop Because I don't want it to be Superman number 59 <laughs> Right <laughs> Right, and so he, he sends me this page, and it's, it's on top of a bridge, and I'm just blown away by that.
0: Yes, that was awesome and then um I, I was glad because I got to play with the, I had some room to play with the sky, so I was able to do like a sunset and stuff. yeah, and I enjoy uh, so I, but yeah I was, you had the Billy had the angles right and the de- again the details, and it it looked really cool.
2: I, I think it helps that Billy and I are just generally pretty easy to work with. There there are some times where one of the other, well, usually me, will be like a stickler for some kind of a detail. But other than that, I, I think we're both very open to each other's interpretations. And Billy is very much a co-creator. He named the character. Slipstream or James? Uh, I, I came up with all of the human names, and Billy came okay. up with all of the superhero names, because he's better oh, wow. at that. Oh, wow. Because I... I Start thinking. Okay, we need a team name. How about Justice League? No, wait. Hold on. That's that's already taken. <laughs> no. uh, Justice Squad. No, wait. That's still too much like it. Um, we'll call them the X Men. No, wait. Hold on. And Billy can just come up with these
0: names. Wow, I love these behind the scene things. That's awesome news, or not awesome news, but that's awesome that you guys work. Uh... See, I always thought it was mostly Jeffrey's idea, and Billy just came in with the designs. So it's cool to learn that you guys actually did some of the, you know, the names and stuff all together too.
2: Yeah, B- Billy is very much a co-creator, and he does probably more than half the work because w- once I write it, you know, I I can write out an issue, and then Billy's the one who's got to spend the next twelve weeks drawing it.
0: Yeah, poor Billy, I feel bad for him.
4: <laughs> no, it's, uh, that's that's right. It's kind of what I enjoy. Uh, you know, I like to write too, but uh, uh, um. When I was in high school, uh, that was one of the things I w- thought I would like to do: is uh, be a comic book artist. And uh, uh, so, a couple of decades later, I'm finally uh, uh, making making a dream come come true.
0: Well, good. And and who knows this? You know, something like Slipstream. It's getting your names out there. It could lead to something with an actual print company. That would one be of the nice. Yeah, that'd be
2: cool. Yeah, and, and Adam has been very open about the fact that if we need to take our property somewhere else, that we are allowed to.
0: Oh, that's cool. Just yeah, make sure you bring um, me with you.
4: Yeah, because the uh, way he set it up, uh, you know, we own. Everyone owns the the, the rights to their character, and he's just uh, licensing it for to use on the website.
0: Oh, okay, that's cool yeah he's a very he's very easygoing laid back guy unless you're really close to the deadline like we got that.
2: pretty close that one time
0: yeah yeah i think we got it in like tuesday afternoon it was a little close for comfort i i, I, yeah. I was actually
2: kind of like starting to squirm a little bit yeah,
0: yeah so I was, i yeah i was getting a little worried myself but um he's actually sent me the um layouts that he uses for the website now so whenever I send him to him, I send him the, uh, I take the image that I send you guys on Facebook, the giant final image, and then I shrink it down and put it on the Slipstream, the viewer page with the yellow border around it, and then that little newest episode preview page that doesn't have the border around it, and I actually make both of those and send them to Adam so basically once he gets them, all he has to do is pop them on the site and they're already formatted. Oh neat yeah, To cool. save him from having to do that now So if it gets that close to the deadline again Which I don't think it will But it's always possible um, It's mostly on my shoulders Yay <laughs> um, Okay well um, Now that we've gotten through all that uh, Next up Well we d- we did have to talk about Slipstream I,
2: I mean it's the three of us It kind of went without saying
0: Exactly I, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity Since we had Basically, the three guys that work on the book. All I, I mean, all I do is come in with the color. You guys had <laughs> it all planned out afterwards or beforehand, but it is awesome to have the three quote unquote creative team members on the show. So, and it was yeah, completely, and, and... not even planned this way. It was <laughs> <I know>. completely. <laughs>
2: that's that's what's I... funny about it. But it, but but if any listeners out there are interested in Slipstream, it's the three of us working on it. It's at ClockworkComics.co.uk. We're a little more than halfway through season three right now, but you can read it from the beginning and catch up, and let us know what you think.
0: And it's all in color, so enjoy it. Yes. Um, okay, now before we get into exactly why Jeffrey and Bill are how on you the stay show, inside the lines. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. Thank you very much. You would not believe how difficult it is on some parts. Um, Now, before we get into Free and Billy, are actually on the show, we've got responses to last episode's super question of what is your favorite Superman and Batman team-up? We've got one email and several responses on both our Facebook page and... Well, I'm sorry, our Facebook fan page and the group page. So, um, let me go through the email real quick. Actually, it's kind of a long one. Uh, From Steve Rogers, not Captain America, uh, who writes into... Just about every podcast that Evs ever made, so that's pretty cool. Um, so he writes, "Hey Charlie, thought I hit a few things up real quick. First off, taking the new format, love the, I love going issue by issue, but I can see how that could get somewhat bogged down during this particular era. Thank you. Uh, not quite as serialized as I would as it would be during the post crisis through today eras, and not as whimsical as the Golden and Silver Age books. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of great stuff, but with your real time life restraints." and whatnot. I understand the flip and format. Yeah, part of that was to, you know, color Slipstream. That's part of my time restraints, so that's cool. Uh, you know, it's too bad Superman appears in intercompany crossover with the Avengers and after, or with the Avengers after Crisis. That Bousiac, perez jla Avengers crossover from the early 2000s was a good one to spotlight if one was doing the, yeah, if one was doing the movie team-up Superman Avengers podcast. Yes, I thought of that, and I actually considered it But one, Avengers came out Before I started that month's worth Of podcast, and two, like you said It's post-crisis, so I couldn't It was out of my jurisdiction <laughs> Perhaps one day, Jeffrey and Michael Bailey will do it on From Crisis to Crisis Um
2: I, I believe that we're gonna have to Actually
0: It's crossover, and he's in it And he there holds the shield and the hammer So you have to do it Um Speaking of which, I don't have a specific story in mind But various moments through the years Are great for Batman-Superman team-ups Especially when the other makes a glorified cameo In the middle of the other story Their first post-crisis meeting For the man who has everything Superman helping Bruce-slash-Batman out After the death of Jason Todd Jason Todd died? I'm just kidding Um, spoiler alert, folks Dark hey, Knight hey, over... Hey, Ma- dude. <laughs> well, it's a little later, but he's back yeah. so. Uh, Dark Knight over Metropolis. Uh talking about Magpie in an early issue of Superman Batman and the whole sequence of Batman trying to get the bullet the kryptonite bullet out of Superman. Quote, Clark, lose the sense of humor. Bruce, buy a sense of humor. Uh I actually like that part. It was really funny in the movie too. Yes. Uh the animated movie episode crossover of Superman and Batman. Oh, that would be the world's finest. Yes, yeah. that was awesome. <laughs> Excuse
2: me. I've got, a full, fi- I've got a full review of that on the
0: Superman homepage. There you go, folks. Supermanhomepage.com. Jeffrey has done a full review of that. Did are you still doing the? I know it's been like forever since you did one, but are you still doing the animated series reviews, or did you stop that?
2: I just haven't done one in a long time. I'm doing too many things, and that one just kind of gets shuffled to the bottom okay. all the time. Too many and things. I, I'm just kidding. I, I think it might be time to pass it on to somebody else if I don't do one soon. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, is, is that the same one you've been almost ready to do since like you started from crisis to crisis? I've done one since we started from crisis to crisis. Oh wow! And <laughs> you're, it's, it's only been like a hundred and thirty something episodes, right? So uh,
2: we're on. We're on episode, you're going to be on episode one forty two.
0: One forty two in yeah. a row. So yes. Ooh. So you're you're making good progress on that. Um, <laughs> their final lines in Justice League Unlimited. Five-second head start? You're getting soft. Don't you have a tall building to leap? That's cool. Uh, they're seen together on the watchtower in Final Crisis number 1. That issue of Grounded where Bruce stops and says hello to Clark in the midst of a walkabout, etc., etc., etc. And I'll throw in a nice curveball at you. I have... Something I enjoy are YouTube sensations It's just some random guy And how it should have ended Um, And they do have Some fun Superman-Batman interactions In their humor videos I don't know about the random guy ones But the how it should have ended are awesome Especially Batman I would have thrown a -a batarang at it That's good stuff there Because I'm Batman Exactly Oh, I and mean, I I love when he
2: turns into the Dark Knight Batman, and suddenly his voice just changes to <laughs> swear to me. Yeah, I want to I want to see the, the one one of the Dark Knight version of Batman and yeah. Bane from Dark Knight Rises having a conversation where they're both like what 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 what
0: <laughs> what. I think I I've seen. You. What I want to say I've seen that it's like Batman going <laughs> and Bane's like.
2: I haven't seen it but It's what I want to see
0: I think I've seen it I don't remember it, it might have been just someone else on another show It could have even been you Saying you know what I want to see <laughs> It's and, probable so, yeah. um, Finishing the email uh, And finally you mentioned that the Super Friends Bronze Age title and how it, how To you it seemed like a long running title Based off a cartoon series yeah, I think I spoke too soon, judging by the rest of this email. Um, well, a look at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics sees that Superman Adventures, running from 1996 to, th- to 2002, which was a while after the show left the air, ran for 62 or 66 issues, an annual, and a special. For some reason, they keep churning out different names for the Batman ones. So there are Batman Adventures, which ran from 92 to 95, which had 36 issues, two annuals, and a special. And, and issue
2: 25 ad- had Superman in it.
0: Yes, with long hair Yep Meeting Lex Luthor 2, basically
2: I I have that issue I bought that the day it came out Well, the weekend after, probably
0: Yeah, I think I did, too In fact, I want to say that that was a weird timing, too Because I want to say right about that time would have been the uh, whole War from Metropolis thing Where Lex 2 was kind of dying Yeah, Spoiler Spoiler alert, if you listen to From Crisis to Crisis, which you probably do if you listen to this show. Um, the Batman and Robin Adventures, which ran from 95 to 97 for 25 issues and two annuals. A 1998 five-issue Batman Adventures, the Lost Years series. Uh, Go- Batman Gotham Adventures, which ran from 98 to 2003, which is 60 issues. And finally, Batman Adventures came back for 2003 to 2004, ran for 17 issues. So out of all those, I guess... Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for pointing me wrong. Um, and, and by the you, way...
2: And you forgot about the adventures of Gotham Robin Batman and Robin's Batman adventure in Gotham.
0: Exactly. How,
2: how many other ways can we say?
0: Plus, there was like... Wasn't there like a Batgirl Adventures and a Harley and Ivy thing? and Probably. Gotham that, Girls?
2: I, well think that was a, a one-time thing. W- wasn't that a series of one-shots?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I want to say Har- <coughs> excuse me. I want to say Harley Ivy was like a three-issue mini because I think Danny, I'm Paul not Danny sure. and Bruce Tim, but I don't know. I, I don't do a Batman podcast, so that's why I don't know these things. By the way, as I further cement my claim to be the Cliff Clavin of Superman in the Bronze Age, that Superman, or Super Friends comic lasted 47 issues from 76 to 81. Flash forward to 2008, the name is revived to... Tell, putting the Super Friends brand name On their kid-friendly toys and Playsets. So the DC Super Friends Came out as a 29-issue series from 2008 to 2010 that Tied into the toy line. Anyway, that's Enough digging on interesting fact toys for one night Till next time, Steve Rogers Wow And, by the way, Steve Close. See, Cliff usually wasn't Right. So You're almost Cliff Clavin, but not quite
2: There's a great – I know this is getting us off topic, but there's this great quote from Cliff that is one of my all-time favorite quotes of of all time. Would, Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Well, you see, Norm, it's like this. A herd of buffalo can only move as fast as the slowest buffalo, and when the herd is hunted, it's the slowest and weakest ones in the back that are killed first. This natural selection is good for the herd as a whole because the general speed and health of the whole group keeps improving by the regular killing of the weakest members. In much the same way, the human brain can only operate as fast as the slowest brain cells. Now, as we know, excessive intake of alcohol kills brain cells, but naturally, it attacks the slowest and weakest brain cells first. In this way, regular consumption of beer eliminates the weaker brain cells, making the brain faster and a a more efficient machine. And that, Norm, is why you always feel smarter after a few beers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love Cliff Clavinisms. (sighs) That's great. And they're all on Netflix. Too for direct download so Oh awesome uh, let, now let's get over to The Facebook uh, page Responses uh, over on Which one am I on This is the fan page one We got responses uh, let's see John Wilson who He's,
2: does I should have had on Besides the well Because then we'd have golden age silver age Bronze age uh, crisis to crisis age And then he also does
0: one about the current The 52 oh yeah Well see he could, he didn't he didn't respond to my request. Oh, he's he's a jerk. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I know. I talk to him all the time. Um, but John Wilson writes. I guess Dark Knight over Metropolis might be cliché, but my but racking my brain doesn't get me anything else. I really like their co-ops in recent New 52 issues. So see, he picks the one era he doesn't cover on a show, so that's cool. Uh, Tony I am going to butcher your last name, Tony, but it's Tony po- Poirier, Poirier, Poirier. I don't know I'm sorry Tony But he writes that Dark Knight of Metropolis Is his favorite But Superman Batman Generations By John Byrne Is pretty high on the list And Dave Gibbon And Steve Rude's World's Finest Miniseries Back from the early 90's Was pretty good too Even though I know (laughs) From Crisis to Crisis Did not like that One bit We
2: didn't like it And we had to record The episode twice
0: Yes And I remember You liked it even less The second time I liked the The, art in it The second time
2: We just ripped it apart
0: Yeah, yeah. But the art, I still like the art in that. The story might not have been great, but the art was pretty good. I like Steve Rude's art. But um, anyway, um, Russell Bragg writes that he likes World's Finest 271. It tells of all the Superman and Batman first encounters from comics to the radio show. Plus, you get to see the famous Adam Man character from the wonderful radio show storyline of 1945. Great comic. Really enjoying the show. Keep up the great work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Wow, well, he wrote it like an email. That's cool. I did not know about that issue. I should go back and find that one. That would have been a much better one to do than the one I did, than the issue of World's Finest I covered last episode. The one I covered had, a uh, Lunar Lady, I think. No, Lunar Lady? I don't remember now. But, in, uh, she was basically like Moon Man from the Silver Age I don't know if you know that one, Billy uh, If you've even gotten that far yet I don't know when in the Silver Age that was now
4: uh, I'm not sure Because um, I My reading of was pretty, pretty sporadic even back then Because my parents couldn't always afford to get a comic book You know, for me, so
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I want. I want to say that the issue came out in fifty nine. Yeah. Are you I'll... even
4: that far yet, on your show? Yeah, I'm. Uh, on the uh, like Jimmy Olsen and World's Finest, I'm about fifty eight, just starting fifty nine, and uh, with Superman in action, I'm getting into nineteen, late sixty, early nineteen sixty
0: one. Okay, so you're probably just about to get to that issue. It involves this guy. I can't remember his name now, but he was like the first person to orbit the moon. In the in in the, in the comic book world, and he hit some kind of comet tail or cosmic gas or something, and it gave him these moon power. I don't know. It's a crazy story. You'll have to enjoy it. Um, let's see. Comics, and I I don't read comics. They're for kids. Yeah. Thank you, Jeffrey, for being on the show, and uh, we'll see you <laughs> next time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, and then Ben Rush writes in that World's Finest from the Superman animated series uh, was Is his favorite As was mentioned previously And then over on the group pre- Yeah, group page We've got, well Jeffrey Wrote something, but I'm going to talk to him about it in a minute uh, David Walker Who does the Flash There's no name for it though But the Flash podcast Featuring Wally West um, Writes that I think my favorite Which he spells the in the British way, which has the U, which is funny. I think my favorite is the World's Finest Episodes of Superman, the Animated Series. Although Lego Batman 2 is pretty good, too. I think I'll stick with my first answer, though. I haven't played Lego Batman 2 much, but it's not the first, it's not the only time it's going to be mentioned in these responses. Andrew Leyland. Well, I'm assuming it's Andrew, because it's Hey Kids Comics. It could very well be anyone in that family. Uh, Writes, Action Comics Annual number 1 for the Sweet Art Adams artwork. Which would be the post-crisis? No, I don't think there was a pre-crisis Action Comics Annual. Never mind. Uh, uh no, there there was not one. I I
2: think Action Comics Annual one was that. Was that, that the, one was with the, the
0: vampires? Yeah, Superman and Batman team up against the vampires down and in like, the, And the the East vampire
2: girl, yeah, the vampire girl wore a Planters peanut T-shirt.
0: Yeah, the Mister Peanut T-shirt. What's and that? yeah, it was kind of crazy, but it is. It it is mentioned, on reviewed on one of the early, I didn't do my research, it's it's reviewed on an early episode of From Crisis to Crisis, and is uh, reprinted in the Superman Man of Steel Volume 6, I think, or 7, the last one that came out before they were getting ready to put out more. So if you want to see it reprinted, it's probably a little cheaper than, well actually, for some reason the Crisis to Crisis era books are not that expensive, so you can probably find it for somewhat cheap. Um, let's see. Greg Barr writes, "My favorite is Lego Batman 2." There you go again. Next in line was the low-key Dark Knight Over Metropolis storyline from the late 80s, early 90s.
2: I, I and, believe it was in
0: 1990. Yeah, right around. Yeah, just after the first Batman, but before the second one, or before Batman returned. Returns. Right. And then finally, Alan Leach Jr. writes, "Dark Knight Over Metropolis" in the comic. Or Destroyer, the last episode of Justice League Where they team up against Darkseid These are all really good Now, um, since you guys are on the show What were your guys' favorites? Let's start with Billy
4: Well, when uh, you sent me the um, message earlier today About, about this topic uh, um, What popped in my head was uh, uh, World's finest story from my childhood and it was, I had to dig the issue out And it was... Uh, World's Finest number 172. It was one of those imaginary stories they used to to do back then, and it's called Superman and Batman Brothers. And it was a uh, imaginary story like what if Jonathan and Martha Kent adopted Bruce Wayne after his parents were killed, and it and it's kind of a story about how. Clark, young Clark, and Bruce would still wind up becoming Superman and Batman, respectively. And it was uh, always a fun story that stuck in my mind. And so I have to say that that's probably my favorite uh, Superman and Batman story. You know, uh, you know, modern readers might find it corny, um, but uh, it it's uh, one of those stories from my childhood. So I have to say that set the top of my list.
0: Well, that's cool. I, You know, I haven't read that, but I've heard a lot about it, and I haven't heard anything bad about it, so that's kind of cool. Um, I, in fact, I think I've seen one or two pages. Kurt Swan draws that, doesn't he?
4: Yeah, in fact, uh, okay. the social worker that um, approached uh, Martha Kent about adopting Bruce Wayne, her name was Mrs. Swan. So I'm oh. thinking that was like a little uh, plug for um, – you know, Kurt's wife and when I would later read a um, biography of Kurt Swan written by Eddie Zeno the the title escapes me at the moment and it's a picture of his wife after their children it was a picture of her and their grown children and I could see yeah that kind of looks like it could have been her uh, you know that he drew back then
0: Oh, okay cool so, yeah I know exactly what book you're talking about I don't seem to see it in view of me right now, so I can't tell the title either, but I've read that, and that's, I think, where I saw the, a page from that book. So that's cool. Um, Jeffrey, what is yours?
2: Uh, the, there's just so many to choose from, because the Dark Knight Over Metropolis is a big one for me. I really like that one. It's never been reprinted. We had a big campaign to try and get it reprinted. still hasn't happened, but oh well. Uh, two, two others that I really enjoy, though. One is the novel by Kevin J Anderson it's called Superman Batman Enemies and Allies it takes place in the 1950s but it is still the more modern version of Superman and Batman where they are diametrically opposed to each other because their uh, methods necessarily have to be very very different okay and so it's it's at the height of the cold war and Lex Luthor is the one behind it and it's all about nuclear weapons and Russia and, and all that stuff it's, it's very, very good and very interesting, I
0: thought Now, they don't make Batman want to kill, do they?
2: No Okay no, 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 no Kevin J. Anderson knows his superheroes just fine Okay, cool So, there's, there's that one And the other one that I want to mention It's not spectacular But it's a really neat idea And I, I think it was done well enough uh, It's called Superman Speeding Bullets From 1993 which we we will end up discussing on From Crisis to Crisis, and it's... Do, do you know the one I'm talking
0: about? Is that the Elseworlds, where it's like... Yes. Okay.
2: Okay. I've got that. Where, where Superman uh, landed... His ship landed in Gotham, and Martha and Thomas Wayne found him, and they had never had Bruce. So then, young Superman, with his powers and everything... Goes through all the same tragedy that Batman does And eventually becomes Batman But of course he can fly and has superpowers It it was not the best execution But it's a really neat idea for a one-off story
0: Yeah, like, and the cover is really cool It kind of mimics Superman number one But yeah. in a super Batman costume It's really cool yeah. Was that Edward Barreto? Or Eduardo Barreto?
2: That, that's his art, yes and uh, okay. written, written by Demetrius
0: Oh, okay, so he would have really gotten into the psychology of it Yes Maybe, okay, cool Maybe As,
2: <laughs> as, as far as you know
0: Well, I know he usually does I don't right. know if he did there Okay Well, that brings it into our huh, preamble Wow, I think we've only been recording for an hour and a half at this point Um, So here's your super question for the next episode, folks You Ready? It's what is your favorite Superman story Of all time and why Again mm-hmm. this covers uh, Yeah no isn't that cool Again this covers everything from 1938 to today And over all forms of media You can email your response To superbronze1970 At gmail.com Or you can answer the question when I post the question On the Facebook page and the group page So And we're not going to answer just, it now. Answer now No I want to give you my <laughs> answer now <laughs> Well you can give it to me on the break Okay. And I'll make sure to mention it next time. Okay. But I don't want to influence anyone's answers. Okay, so um so now we're gonna play some promos and we'll be back in just a minute. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages.
4: Do you enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And your emails are always welcome at Superman podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape
3: The funeral is over Jonathan Kent is on the mend so. Uh... I was Clark's father.
0: Oh, much, much better.
3: Lois has returned home.
1: Lois, over here! Harry, wife? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A
5: good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of bunch, you run straight away. I'm parked over here.
2: But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel...
5: I know
3: there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton.
4: I
5: live.
3: The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through! Nobody move, this is a bust! The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel.
1: Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever
5: call me Super Boy, capiche?
3: The reign of the Superman is upon us, and so from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics to to the novelizations, to the audio drama, and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
4: Let's go.
3: more supermanhomepage.com
0: we now return to superman in the bronze age and we're back now august is birthday month here at superman in the bronze age for no other reason than my birthday's in august so billy and jeffrey have joined me for the first part of birthday month to talk about superman annual pre-crisis number 11 which was released on June 20th, 1985, and the cover, by Dave Gibbons, shows Mongol towering over Superman, who looks to be under the control of some kind of creature plant thing wrapped around his chest, while Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin look on in shock. Now, we do find the name of the flower plant thing inside, but since, if we're trying to be spoiler-free as much as possible, even though these are almost 30 years old, Um, I just wanted to, you know, pretend like we're looking at it for the first time. So what do you guys think of this cover?
4: It's a great cover. Uh, It's really eye-catching. You know, it's kind of menacing. You wonder what kind of danger Superman's in and what this weird plant thing is uh, doing to him. Can't be good if a Mongol seems to be... uh, uh, has a very menacing smile in the background. Mm-hmm. I like the Jeffrey? I I like the
2: look of Krypton in in the background. You can see that there are some flying cars what it appears to be and some spires sort of leading up to the sky because that's what's going on in Superman's mind. Uh when it comes to to Dave Gibbons for me, I I find him to be either hit or miss and this one is definitely a hit for me. And and, and in fact is art through the whole issue, which we'll we'll get to in a few moments, but uh my my only and it's a very minor complaint Is that it does give away who the bad guy is
0: Yeah That's But
2: but, but then again we don't get that far I I thought I remembered that being more of a reveal Closer to halfway through But it does happen pretty early on So it's okay
0: Okay Well um, let's see The story as you can probably guess By the art Or by what we've already said The story is titled For the man who has everything it's a little-known story, written by a really small, only wrote a couple stories, writer named Alan Moore, drawn and lettered by Dave Gibbons, colored by Tom Ziuko, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And I've got to tell you, this story was reprinted several times, so if you haven't read it, I don't know how you missed it. Um, But it was reprinted in The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told hardcover from 1987, and The Trade Paperback form from 1989. Across the Universe, The DC Universe Stories of Alan Moore Trade Paperback from 2003. DC Universe, The Stories of Alan Moore Trade Paperback from 2006, which is a similar title, and for good reason, because it's basically the same trade, but with a few more stories thrown in. And The Superman Whatever Happened to the World of Tomorrow Deluxe Edition hardcover from 2009 and The Trade from 2010. So now what we're going to do is we're going to split up this synopsis for the story between the three of us. And first up is Billy.
4: And before I begin with the synopsis, I want to say that uh, um, I first read this story in the greatest Superman stories ever told uh, trade paperback. So that's where I first... uh, Read the story Then I was able to get okay. the A copy of the original Annual Just a couple of years ago
0: so, uh, Mine was similar I, I read it in the trade And I literally Just got the comic A couple months ago So
2: I saw the JLU episode First
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yet I still felt
2: like I Like it was a familiar Story that I had read before So
0: I don't know You like to do things Backwards don't you I love you read, watch, backwards. You watch the show, then you read the comic. You read the novel, and then you go back and find the comics for *The Death and Return* and read them. And...
2: Well, like like in *When Harry Met Sally*, I whenever I read a book, I read the last page first.
0: And... Well, actually, I do that too, just to see how it ends. I, I don't I do. like surprises.
2: It's in case I die before I get before I finish the book.
4: Yeah, see, there you go. Yeah. All right, well,
0: sorry to interrupt,
4: Billy. Go ahead. Well, we begin with a prologue, we see uh, an alien skyline similar to the cover with all the pointed uh, almost like minarets. And in the foreground on the left, we see a billboard of a bald man and with a symbol of uh, two fists with, uh, that are handcuffed, and we will learn more about th- uh, what the billboard means uh, later on in th- the story. But we see uh, a very tired man walking home uh, on a walkway across – which stretches uh, across the uh, skyline to his apartment building. uh, Who knows how many stories above the ground, and he enters a darkened uh, apartment, and he wonders if Van and Orna will still be up and – when I first read that, I assume it was his children. But when he gets to the door to the four room, he hears the Holofactor playing Nightwing and Flamebird. And so he's glad that they're still awake. That means he'll get to read them another Scarlet Jungle story before bed. And leaving uh, before he, him and Lila uh, go to bed. And then he opens the door, and it's not just his family, but there's a group of people, and they're, they're throwing him a surprise first-day party. And uh, what we learn is uh, Lila says, Happy first-day, Cal!" And so they give him presents. Uh, uh, Kara Zor-El gave, gave him a new headband. And uh, while in the background the holofactor showed nightwing save, saving flamebird from a rogue metal eater, and kind of his weariness from work uh, from working at the Institute of Ge- geology uh, cataloging specimens from the candor crater kind of lifts from him, and he is content and the scene shifts, and the uh, narration caption says that it. We're in the Arctic Circle, and the date is February 29th. And we see Wonder Woman standing in front of her invisible plane, and we see just the corner of Batman's cape fluttering on the far right corner, and Wonder Woman tells him, Beat you! And Batman says, tells her that if he ever developed a bat plane that responds to thought control, he'll be up for a rematch. And he introduces Wonder Woman to the new Robin, Jason Todd, and uh, she uh, introduces herself and says, nice to meet you. Welcome to an interesting career. And then she says, anyway, he's left the door open for us. Let's get inside before you two freeze. And Jason Todd, Robin, whispers to Batman before us two freeze with her dressed like that. And Batman says, think clean thoughts, chum. And while Robin is left with an itch he can't scratch at the moment, there's a wordless panel with Batman with a slight smile on his face, and he's not feeling the cold very much at that particular moment. And they walk to the entrance, and Wonder Woman helps uh, Robin get up to the uh, door because the ice slope is uh, pretty steep. And uh, Robin explains that this is his first time in the Fortress of Solitude, and he says, uh, it's a big place, isn't it? I bet there's some scary stuff in here. And Batman says, well, if you make a profession out of that mask, you'll probably see a lot worse. And then he asks Diana what kind of a present he uh, she got him, and she tells Batman that she's not saying anything. He'll hear and spoil the surprise And then Robin says, here, but he's not anywhere near us. He won't – oh, right, Superman. I forgot. Well, Batman is not uh, concerned apparently about uh, Superman overhearing them because he explains to Wonder Woman that he paid a horticulturalist to breed a new strain of rose called the Krypton. Because he said, I'm certain that no one else will have gotten him flowers. And then Robin interrupts him and says – Uh, Bruce, maybe it's not too late for it uh, to change it for something else. Did you get a receipt? And in the background, they enter the main hall of the fortress, and in the foreground, we see Superman standing as still as a statue with the weird alien plant thing wrapped around him, and there's a container and some wrapping paper at his feet. And this page served as the title page, uh, and since uh, Charlie has read the credits, we'll move on to the next page, and Wonder Woman examines it uh, while Batman checks the wrappings, and she s- notices that it seems to be growing through, him, uh, through his costume into him, and uh, Batman asks her if Superman is breathing, and she says yes, but very faintly. And uh, Wonder Woman says that the the alien plant thing feels funny as if it might have some magic uh, in it. And so Batman goes about trying to uh, figure out who's in it and why. Uh, Batman takes out a flashlight and looks at his eyes and notices that his pupils aren't contracting even slightly. And uh, he says that uh, Superman must be cut cut off from just about all sensation, and he says he's in a world of his own. And the scene shifts to the uh, Kryptonian scene, and uh, Cal is looking at the rain, and uh, his wife comes up behind him and uh, says uh, Aunt Laura's paragondola uh, left five minutes ago and they're left alone, and he's kind of down even though it's his birthday because his uh, father uh, didn't show up, but uh, his wife had invited him, but uh, after she informed him that Allura and Kara would be there, he said, well, he'd be too busy, and apparently it's uh, some uh, fallout from an argument uh, that a prolonged argument that uh, uh, Kalil's father had with his brother Zorel, who's been dead for three years now. Uh, apparently the argument was over politics. And after discussing the situation, the, uh, they leave the row butlers to clean up and the, they go to bed. Then the next day, Kalil visits his father. Who uh, really has a warm greeting for him? Oh, it's you! Good to see you, son. Come inside, and uh, they walk out to his glass forest terrace, where um, uh, he asks Kellal about the children uh, and his wife Lila uh, and the, the children Van and little Lara. Uh, and Kellal corrects him: "That's Orna, father." And uh, Jorel says, Orna, of course. Uh and he says, You know, I always thought it was a shame we didn't name her after your mother. And uh Jorel introduces his son to uh, two gentlemen. One is the Reverend Lor M, and the other is Major Dax R. And Lor M uh introduces himself to Kal-El and says, Oh yes, the one who married the actress. How pleasant to meet you. And um Major Dax R uh, talks to Jorel about uh, the address at the rally at the next midday. And Kellel is concerned about the, uh, the men that uh, Jorel was just talking to because Lord M runs the Sword of Rao sect. And he's wondering why his father is talking to people like that. And uh el talks about the old Krypton movement, uh, which uh el is becoming more heavily involved in because uh, he's concerned about what's happening to Krypton with the drug traffic and glamour salts and hellblossom uh, and the racial trouble with the Vathlo Island immigrants. And they have an argument about politics uh, because uh, – you know, Kal-El talks about how Krypton is changing, and it, even though it's difficult, extremist political groups aren't making it any easier. And then the conversation uh, uh, turns to uh Jor-El's disappointment in Kal-El and the bitterness of losing um, his wife Laura to the eating sickness and uh, –… the end of jor career when his prediction that Krypton was about to explode turned out to be wrong and the, uh, the repercussions that uh, he had from the science council. And uh, then jor talks about the uh, campaign to release the Phantom Zone criminals, uh, which the uh, protesters believe is uh, unreasonable and severe punishment… And uh Kel-El is getting kind of weary of the way the conversation is going, and he tells his father that sometimes I think you are right. I think you wish Krypton had exploded after all, and he leaves. And uh, Jor-El takes his cane and smashes it on a branch to one of the um, glass trees, uh, shattering it and in a uh, caption that leads into the next scene back at the fortress of solitude we see in the background batman wonder woman and robin uh talking about the clues that they see batman notices that from the wrappings that the uh it, the thing was intended as a gift and super, i mean batman uh, surmises that Superman must have a teleportation channel at the Fortress, although he's never mentioned one. And Wonder Woman uh, says, well, maybe he just uses it once a year when it's his birthday. And as this conversation is going along, we get closer and closer to them because we see a shadow of a large figure approaching. And then in a booming voice, a uh, which is indicated by the unusual word balloon. This uh, it, this being says, "How remarkable you animals really, you you really you animals really are almost intelligent, aren't you? That's exactly what happened." And in a three-quarter-sized uh, panel, he, we see him for the first time, and he says, "Except for one or two minor details," and he's. Puts on these special gloves, and he says, first of all, I knew precisely what it would do to him. And secondly, it was not intended as a token of gratitude. And Wonder Woman and Robin are whispering about who this giant alien creature is. And Batman asks the alien, what exactly is that creature? And the alien explains it's called – a black mercy, and he f- found it in the tangled zones. And he says, "Please tell that little yellow uh, shuffling creature to stop uh, to stop shuffling. It's distracting to me." And explains that it's something between a plant and an intelligent fungus. It attaches itself to the victims in a form of sim- symbiosis, and it feeds on their bio aura, and it gives them their heart's desire. It's telepathic, and it feeds them a logical simulation of whatever happy ending they desire. And he explains that its victims could shrug it off. They just don't want to. And sure enough, Batman was right. He delivered it through the teleportation channel. And the alien says he wonders where Superman thinks he is. And finally, Batman gets around to the main question: Is who, what are you? And um, well, the alien—it uh, doesn't say what his name is, but it's uh, well. I'll leave that to later when when his name is mentioned. Uh, he says, so "If you don't know my name, or, or then you're not worthy of an introduction. I'm the new manager around here," and he says. Now I know you, uh, your society uh, makes a distinctions on a basis of gender and age. So perhaps you can advise me which of you would it be polite to kill first. So Batman and Wonder Woman exchange glances, and Wonder Woman approaches the alien, who crouches down so they can look her in the eye, and Wonder Woman hits him with a right uppercut to the chin, which. Knocks him back a little bit, but hurts one Woman more than the alien. And he says, thank you. I think that's answered my question, as he reaches for Wonder Woman's head. All right, so shall I continue on? Yes. Uh, you yeah, sure, uh, page 13.
2: Right. So continuing on to page 14, and for a few more pages... This is back in the dream sequence. Alora, the widow of zor and mother of Kara, who in the real world is Supergirl, cries out for her daughter in the lobby of a hospital on Krypton. Kal-El and Van arrive in order to comfort her, although they don 't know what 's actually going on. They just got a phone call she 's taken off to see Kara, and a doctor stops Cal to show him a picture that Kara was apparently wearing on her neck when she was brought in and it 's the same picture as from uh, the the first panel that Billy was talking about with the with the cuffs in the air it's it 's actually a picture of Jack Zor, and Kara is apparently on the side of some sort of radicals. That want to free the occupants of the phantom zone because it's cruel torture he's taken inside where Kara looks pretty badly beaten up when he comes back out to van he's playing with the nurse that Cal left him with, and he calls home using a vid phone a pay vid phone to let his wife Lila know that Kara know know about Kara and about these anti phantom zone groups. Cal and van begin to head home but are stopped in a in traffic by a rally that is against the phantom zone we cut back to the fortress where wonder woman has been thrown through a wall but fortunately now she's in the weapons room yay so she picks up a large gun and fires it at mongol's chest which does nothing batman takes a moment to work with robin on how to get the black mercy off of superman's chest because they'll need it if they're going to survive mongol yells for Superman to wake up, and in the dream, Batman's voice can be heard, but it's melded into the moment that Superman is imagining, where the rally is getting more and more out of hand, and Jor-El is actually speaking out to everybody about the planet's destruction. Cal decides it's best just to get the heck out of there, so he drives Van outside the city and they they end up going all the way to the crater where Kandor once was before it was shrunken and taken away. They get to the middle of the crater, and Cal tells Van that he's worried because he doesn't think that any of this is real. He tells him he doesn't even think that he, his son, is real. Van is scared and begins to fade away, while at the same time Batman pulls and pulls and finally gets the Black Mercy off of Superman's chest but he pulled a little too hard and it ends up on his chest instead. And Bruce dreams of the moment that his parents were killed, except that instead of dying, the gunman missed and Thomas Wayne was able to disarm him.
0: So now Superman is awake and he is really ticked, we'll put it that way. And he wants to know who did this to me. Robin tells him it was a big yellow guy and he's hurting Wonder Woman right now and he's wondering if Superman's okay because he looks a little and before he can say much more Superman just goes Mongol. and shouting it loud enough that it actually sends Robin flying Superman shouts Mongul and takes off with a big whoosh and we see Mongol in, in the Hall of Weapons he's got Wonder Woman picked up by the hare and is about to give her a nice punch to the face, but he hears a voice like Armageddon shouting his name, and he starts to turn, and knows that he has perhaps left less than a half a second in which to defend himself. And as Robin puts on Mongol's giant gloves and tries to remove the Black Mercy from Batman's chest, Mongol is unable to activate any of his armor's weaponry before Superman crashes into the Hall of Weapons and Mongol himself, traveling at about 400 miles per hour. As Robin successfully removes the Black Mercy from Batman and runs off not knowing exactly what to do with it, Superman's command of Get Up is met with a punch from Mongul that sends the man of steel flying through the ceiling and into the interplanetary zoo above. Mongul climbs up to join him and after threatening to kill Superman is about to make good on his threat when in one of the most famous scenes in a Superman comic ever, outside of maybe his death and eating kryptonite... We see Superman truly pissed as he takes, Mo- as he tells Mongol to burn before blasting the warlord with a searing blast of heat vision across his chest. While Mongol screams in agony, Robin enters the hall of weapons and wonders how he's going to get up to the interplanetary zoo and in the action. So with some quick thinking, he shoves the Black Mercy into one of his giant gloves then wraps that glove in his cape and then carries the bundle while climbing up on a Bat Rope up to the zoo. Bat Rope. Yeah, I didn't know what else to call it, but I figured, you know, pre crisis is close it's, enough to it's a bat Adam rope. West. Yeah. Uh, by this point, Mongol has recovered, and now he's pissed, and knocks our hero across the room while telling Superman that he should have stayed in whatever happy fantasy the Black Mercy had granted him. This sets Superman off, and he flies into Mongol, also blasting him with his heat vision in a battle that is compared in the captions to be like two angry planets clashing. The two fighters end up crashing through cages and releasing the creatures inside, including two sentient puddles who become so overexcited that they completely evaporate, leaving behind a faint odor of gasoline. That has nothing to do with the story, I just thought it was kind of funny. Anyway, Mongol eventually knocks Superman through another wall and into what appears to be the monitoring room then jumps and smashes into Superman through the floor to the room below. Meanwhile, Robin makes his way through the zoo to see that after working so hard to get up to the higher level, the two fighters are now back down on the floor he started off on. Below, Superman appears to be about to deliver a death blow to Mongol when he catches the statue of jor and Lara out of the corner of his eye. This distracts him for an Long enough for Mongol to knock Superman back and apparently make him woozy. Now, Mongol is about to deliver a death blow when Robin calls down to him, saying, Uh, excuse me, but I think this is yours. Almost intelligent, huh? And then he drops the Black Mercy down to Mongol, which attaches and wraps around his chest. But, he swats the thing aside, reducing the boy to ash with the twist of a circuit, and then rips the Kryptonian's head from his shoulders, laughing at the way that his eyes roll for long seconds after his death. Then, he places it upon a spike and goes out to trample a world, carrying it before him, his hideous standard. ha! Just kidding. Actually, that was what Mongol saw thanks to the Black Mercy. In real life, Robin swings down as Mongol falls down under the power of the Black Mercy. Later, after Batman has is bandaged up over his costume but under the cape, he mentions that under the influence of the Black Mercy, he had actually married Kathy Kane, formerly Batwoman, and they had a teenage daughter, which actually kind of works with the Earth-2 Batman, because, well, it wasn't Kathy Kane. He did have a teenage daughter who became Huntress. Anyway... Meanwhile, Wonder Woman... With Catwoman, I believe. Yes, with Catwoman. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman is a little envious that she didn't get to see what her heart's desire is, and Robin asks Superman what he's going to do with Mongol now. Superman's plan is to drop him into the black hole at the western spiral arm of the galaxy, which makes me wonder how they have a north, south, east, and west in the galaxy, but that's not for not a discussion for now. At this point Wonder Woman gives Superman his present an exact duplicate of the Bottle City of Candor, since the original was enlarged way back in Superman 338 This would be great, but Superman already has another Bottle City of Candor. So, moving faster than the eye can follow, even Amazonian eyes he flies to the display room takes the Bottle City, puts it in a storage cabinet, and returns to accept his present without anyone even noticing then he gives, then she gives him a big old kiss on the lips. Superman, who apparently enjoyed the kiss, asks why they don't do that more often, to which she responds, I don't know, too predictable? Next up, Batman gives Superman the Krypton flower, but it got stepped on and, at some point and is now dead, which Superman thinks is probably for the best. Then the heroes go off to enjoy some coffee while Superman cleans up the mess. And for the epilogue Like an insatiable virus He sweeps out across the universe And his enemies are dust beneath his feet Suns shudder at his coming The great powers of the cosmos Kneel before him and kiss his fingertips Vast and implacable Or implacable A resurrected warlord Or actually Let me try that again Vast and impl, Is that implacable? Implacable? Implacable even better Vast and implacable a resurrected war world wheels through the bottomless night reducing galaxy after galaxy to smoking ruin the stars run red the nebula echo with the screams of the dying he is content that makes me happy That's for the him end. yeah yay for mongol yay um all right so i'm guessing everyone's got some notes but before we get to those let me put in here another pause so that we can do some more promos and then we'll be right back Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages
1: Hey kids, comics!
4: Hey Michael Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast I've got one Read our podcast Read our podcast You do know this is an audio medium Watch
1: our podcast But you can watch podcasts but not ours because let's face it we've got faces for radio uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast? snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. It's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes. Well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing?
3: is coming
1: every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com.
5: Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger—an enemy we don't yet fully understand. moment that we were created but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are.
3: Chosen. By the mystic guardians of the universe.
2: Recruited
1: from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day, in blackest night no evil shall escape my sight let those who worship evil's might beware my power Green,
5: Green Lantern's, Lantern's Light. Light
1: Green Lantern's Light a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan John Stewart Guy Gardner and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today
3: say the oath join the Corps
2: Green Lanterns Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com.
5: Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at BatgirlToOracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you.
0: We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, so I'm thinking since we started off with Billy on the synopsis, we'll let him do his notes first. What do you got, Billy?
4: Okay, on the uh, prologue page, uh, we see mention of the Kandor Crater uh, and a couple other things from the Superman canon. Um, of course, the Battle city of Kandor was a, a big part of the beginning in the Silver Age. Uh, I'm not sure about the names Van and Orna if they appeared uh in the past Superman stories I didn't have a chance to look it up on the internet. Um, I think
2: that I think that Van is a is a name for one of Superman's ancestors. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure about Orna. I know that uh Lyra is as well. She's from all the way back in the 50s.
4: Yeah. Um now, when he uh, hears the uh, the or show, 60s, rather. Yeah, when he hears the show uh, on the Holofactor, which is, I guess, the Kryptonian television, Nightwing and Flamebird, uh, those two names are come from a couple of Jimmy Olsen stories um, from the 60s, where Superman and Jimmy Olsen visited the Bottle City of Kandor, where since uh, they've recreated Kryptonian, the gravity and atmospheric conditions. Superman doesn't have any powers because it's a. It's a. They've recreated their <laughs> Kryptonian environment, and so they were kind of the Batman and Robin of the Battle City of Candor and they're pretty fun stories. Uh, I don't have the exact issues, but look up Nightwing and Flamebird, and I'm sure you'll be able to find them. And I think those stories. Um, have been reprinted uh, in a couple of places, and yeah, I the think Scarlet... there's
0: Scarlet Trade collecting a bunch of them. I think. Yeah, I
4: think I, th- I think so. I remember seeing one. I don't remember the name of it. Now, the Scarlet Jungle is uh, is an actual jungle that, instead of green, all the leaves, all the vegetation is red, which is the actual place on Krypton, and Lila is actually who's in his uh, dream caused by the Black Mercy. Uh, her name was Lila LaRol and uh, she was uh, his. In, in a story from the late 50s right around uh, almost 1960. Uh, there was a story where Superman uh, was chasing some weird space creature, and he tried to catch it, and he flew fast enough that he broke the time barrier, and wound up on Krypton just before his parents married. And so he uh, happened to meet Lila, who was an actress, and in the course of the story they fell in love before he was, uh, by the end of the story, was thrown off the planet, and he uh, was able to make it back to Earth. And that's another classic story that has been reprinted um, I liked uh, on the next scene, the uh, the Arctic Circle, where Wonder Woman beats Batman on a race to the Fortress of Solitude. Well, first of all, we get the the significance of February twenty ninth. We learned that that's uh, Superman's birthday, which the uh, the editors of DC Comics um, decided that would be. Uh, Uh, decided to make that Superman's birthday. I like when uh, the little scene when Wonder Woman says uh, let's get inside before the two of you freeze and Robin says before us two freeze dressed like that and Superman's response think clean thoughts chum and there's the uh, panel. next panel is wordless and we just see Batman's has a very slight smile on his face, and we're just left to wonder what's going through his mind. And on the page three, as they are uh, almost to the main hall of the fortress, we see a what looks looks like a uh, huge ship, maybe a cruise ship of some kind, uh, hanging from chains on uh, from the ceiling, and I think. Uh, and the all-star superman uh that grant morrison did a uh, that he the mini he wrote a couple of years ago that it was a titanic so i'm guessing maybe this may have been the titanic that he raised from the ocean floor which certainly looks a lot better shaped than what the actual ship that looks like uh right now and um it's kind of a sad uh, seen in uh, page 7, 8 and 9 when he goes to visit his father who uh, didn't even show up for his birthday uh, first we see uh, jor greeting oh it's you, good to see you son come inside, yeah that's a really enthusiastic way to greet your uh, grown son and um, and in the conversation we see uh When when, uh, Jor-El talks about the uh, drug problem, the uh, uh, immigration problem, this part of the story really uh, uh, resonates today with some of the political issues we're going through in this country. And uh, on page 9, Kal-El leaves his father, and uh, we see – the the huge you know emotional gulf between the two of them, and it's really sad to see when Kellos says, tells his father that sometimes he thought he was right that he wished that Krypton had exploded after all. You know, page ten, uh, it was I liked how they uh, Dave and Gibbons and Alan Moore introduced the villain. Because we see the heroes gathered around Superman, trying to examine the clues and figure out what's, you know, what's going on. And as we get closer, we see the shadow of this hulking figure approach. And it's not until the last panel on the page that we finally see him. And you know, I don't think it's un- not until Superman is revived that we learn that this is Mongol. And I was about to say his name. I thought, no. I've- but I better hold off and wait till we get to that part of the story. Uh, the thing I like about this scenario is that uh, you know, without uh, you know a lot of violence, that Mongol found a way to overcome Superman, and uh, with the uh, Wonder Woman kind of sensing that it has some magic that it would e- explain how. It was able to latch on to Superman like he did because that's one of his weaknesses is to magic. And uh, we get to see how powerful he is when Wonder Woman punches him in, in the jaw and ma- only manages to hurt her own hand. And uh, let me leave you uh, the comments on each person to uh, do the comments on their section, or how do you want to do that?
0: i we'll just keep going. Go all the way through.
4: Okay, um, and then when Kallo uh, goes to the hospital, and we learn more about the protests of the uh, against the use of the Phantom Zone, which was discovered by Jor-El. You know, it's, it's like the Kryptonian uh, version of the death penalty. And as the story goes along, it, it's you know if this. Uh, Black uh, Mercy, which is a very ironic name. Uh, his, Super, uh Kal-El's, Superman's dream uh, gets darker and darker as it goes along. He rides up to the protest and sees his uh, father as the keynote speaker to this ex- rally for this extremist group. And then, uh, he's, and then the crowd is uh uh you know, making fun of Jarrell because of his uh you know, false prediction of the planet being go- was uh, was going to explode twenty years ago. And then it's a very creepy scene when uh Kalel goes to the Kandor uh crater and he has to tell his son, I don't think you're real and and alternating panels like on the left hand side it's Batman trying to get the uh Black Mercy off and as he pulls then on the right hand side we're seeing Kal-El talking with the sun in the crater and the background just gets foggier and foggier until almost the they uh, you know they disappear. And uh this uh this was one of my favorite fight scenes You know, when uh, Superman finally revives and uh, he goes after Mongol, uh, we don't really see that often when Superman really cuts loose. And because, you know, dealing with villains, even if they're – because most of them are human, you know, he still has to hold back because obviously if he used his full strength, then, you know… The villain – there wouldn't be anything left of the villain to take to jail. And it was uh, an all, uh, incredible fight scene to see Superman cut loose like that. And um, at the end, uh, it's kind of cool that the, the one that's the uh, – of all the heroes we would have to consider the weakest because he's the youngest and inexperienced, is finally the guy that gets the best of Mongol. Robin struggles to climb up to the uh, upper floor to, to follow as he follows the uh, fight, and then he finally finds where they crash through the floor, and he drops it on Mongol. And it's a very chilling uh, scene where we see what Mongol's uh, fondest dream is. And I liked Superman's comment when they were—they asked him what he was going to do with Mongol. He said, "You know that uh, black hole in the western spiral arm of the galaxy? I think I'll drop him into it."
2: Yeah, he's going to kill Mongol.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't think there—I don't think Superman would uh, could survive a black hole, but
2: it's. Well th- this is still the version of Superman that can fly from one end of the universe to the other in the blink of an eye and travel through time by going really fast. So it so it is possible that he could survive something like that. But it, yeah, it's still it's still kind of iffy. But if it's in the western spiral arm that would make it near us. Yeah. We are in the western spiral arm.
0: Really? Okay. The,
2: the the fun things you learned from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy,
0: and podcasting.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Anyway, go on. But um, and then we see uh, it was kind of neat to see Wonder Woman present the uh, the model of the city of Candor that was made from Paradise Island, uh, and. Of course, wouldn't you know that Superman already had had a, a replica, but being the gracious host that he is, he flew at super speed to kind of put it away so no one could see it. And we see her kind of bandaged up because she really did get uh, the brunt end of uh, her fight with Mongol. And on that last page of the story, um, on the epilogue, when we see mongol's dream as he conquers the galaxy looks like uh hawk and hawk woman and Thanagarians lying dead on the floor and on the um he's sitting on his uh throne as the other uh races of the galaxy you know swear allegiance that first of all it looks like it's the uh ro- uh robotic uh brainiac and then uh kind of behind them uh, I think the third figure from the right uh, third one in line looks like it's Adam strange and behind him we see this short person uh, that with he's got he's bald on top he got long hair um, makes me wonder if that might be one of the guardians of the galaxy and then as the line goes to the far left we see a profile of the last person that's shown, it looks like it might be the Martian Manhunter because he has, like, a very heavy brow and, like, a very high collar, which is similar to um, Martian Manhunter's costume. And that's all of my notes.
0: Okay, I just <laughs> – just a little nitpick. I think that you meant one of the Guardians of the Universe because Guardians of the Galaxy are Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, um,
2: they should make a movie out of that.
0: you'd think they would,
2: yeah, well, they're gonna
0: what a great way to introduce Thanos, you know what I'm saying, but we're not a marvel thing, so Jeffrey, what are your notes?
2: Well, uh, this was actually my first time reading this, as far as I can remember. I, I felt like I knew the story, and I did, obviously. I felt like I knew it when I first saw the episode, so maybe it's just that classic of a story when it comes down to it. I was five when it came out, so it's entirely possible that I did read it at some point, so who knows. I I don't think that I read any Superman comics when I was when I was younger, but it, maybe it was one of those uh, ViewMaster Superman things that I had. Who knows? Um, I loved the the episode, the Justice League Unlimited episode, and I really dig Alan Moore's writing, um, even if I don't love every one of his works. I, I did go in with high expectations. They were more than met. I would give this one a 5 out of 5. In fact, out of 10, I would give this one a 10, and there are very few books that I would give a 10 to. There, there's only one or two minor, very minor complaints as far as I'm concerned, but I'll get to those in a second. And it, it is telling two stories at once, which is kind of similar to another book that is um, – what was that one called? Oh, yeah, Slipstream. So page one, what? A, <laughs> never heard of it. Sorry, <laughs> never heard of it. Yeah. Page one, what a great first page! Moore did a really good job writing this. Um, I I don't always love his style, but there's so much here, and the writing is just so rich. Uh, and Alan Moore just has some really great ideas as well. I I'm not going to say that every one of them is gold, but uh, in Green Lantern's Light, a few episodes ago, we covered the. The story he had a backup story that was called um, Mogo doesn't socialize, and th- oh, I just love the that idea one. yeah just the idea of an entire planet that would be a, a Green Lantern, and it's also described in there that there are some Green Lanterns that are microscopic, so you just never really see them, but they are around, and so the, these are all just really neat ideas that I I think it takes a mind like Alan Moore to come up with, and he's he's a weird guy. It's always the weird weird Brits. It's always the weird Brits. Well, sometimes it's weird weird Americans. I mean, Frank Miller is
3: nuts. Yes, yes, yes.
2: He is insane, and not in a nice way. But um, Alan Moore, I can kind of get a kick out of. Like, oh, it's kind of funny he doesn't like Watchmen because he... He thinks it's not good enough, and he he's boycotting it. He won't take the money, and yada yada yada. So it's kind of funny and weird and kooky. Frank Miller's just like, no, 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 just stop talking, stop doing anything, go away. Uh, but there is a mention of Nightwing and Flamebird. I I really dig that, and I love that he's wearing glasses, or should we call that a visor? Shades, a, shades, yeah. Uh, they 're very comfortable comfortable I expect everybody will be wearing them in the future
0: mm-hmm.
2: page two it 's february twenty ninth hey it 's michael daly 's second birthday yay yay uh Jason Todd is in this, and that 's really cool. I think he 's basically uh, still another dick Grayson at this point i don 't know if they 'd really changed him up yet
0: no, that would be post crisis
2: right and oh that line think clean thoughts. Yes, yeah. with, with Wonder Woman, I I don't know if I could think clean thoughts with Wonder Woman. Around. Page three, outfit. yeah, I do love the deal with the gifts and the idea of the the new rose that's called the Krypton. I I dig that, but it's actually going to turn into a complaint when we get towards the end. Page four, amazing opening splash page here. It's awesome and really creepy. And page six, he's married to Lila, which I think is really cool. Lila has been around since, uh, I, I guess, 1960. She's even come back post-crisis as a slightly different character and was even part of, I think, the new Krypton story. I'm not 100% sure on that. And I love how the the alien terms that are on Krypton, instead of a birthday, it's a first day, that sort of thing. That's another thing that Alan Moore really brings to, to the story, and I think it makes a huge difference. Um, are Van and or- yeah Van and Orna? I wasn't sure if they were previous names, but I, I did look up. Or I mean, Van I, I was pretty sure was because I think he's an ancestor, and Orna I'm not positive about. Page seven, they're using. Yeah, they're still using more terms that are both familiar to us and yet not something that people on Earth say. Like, oh, what time are you going to do that? I'll do that around middle day. That sort of thing. Pages 8 and 9, yeah, it's such an interesting backstory about Krypton not exploding and this political intrigue. And the story needs to be – this story on Krypton needs to be at least as compelling as the present-day, quote-unquote, real story, and it is, I would say, even more so. By page 10, I, I guess I wanted to see the Mongol reveal to be later on, but then again, it is on the cover, so we, this way we can get straight into the fight, straight into the
0: action. And we still don't get his name. That's true. So if you hadn't read, like, two issues, I think, that he'd been in before with Superman, then you might like, not know. Like 1980, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, they needed a, a powerhouse for this, a, a reason to need Superman to wake up before they subdue the the, the bad guy. Because if, if it was a normal human, Wonder Woman could do it. Batman, Robin could do it.
5: <laughs>
2: so... uh Page 11, I think it's great that Black Mercy is something that can be shrugged off by the person if he or she chose, and it's the, the choosing that's the hard part, and that's kind of cool. I, I do get the sense that when Batman does finally pull it off of him, that he is, Cal, Superman, is honestly making the, the decision to allow it to happen at the same time. And I, I do love how this page this page... Twelve Ends with with Mongol Like uh, Which of you would it be polite To kill first It's such a great line At least he's nice about it Yeah exactly Page 13 leads perfectly into this page It's clear that the only way that they will Make it is if Superman breaks out of it And at this point I'm 99% sure That he was stronger than Wonder Woman I think it was post crisis That they were made a lot closer in power.
5: Mm -hmm. She couldn't even
0: fly it.
2: Yeah. Page 15, Jaxor. Nice callback. And it's all about freeing Phantom Zoners, which is... uh, Phantom Zone is in a lot of ways a worse fate than execution. And so I I can see Supergirl being an activist like that. Page 16, when he's on the the pay vid phone, I, I just... Thought to myself, "Hey, it's Kryptonian Skype."
0: Ha! <laughs> Good point. You Although know, before thing... yeah, go ahead. Before you go too far, I don't think Kara was a uh, activist. I think the activist attacked her because she's an L. Oh, that's
2: what it is. I get it now. Okay, I I missed that part. Sorry, and I missed that in the in the re- in the recap too. Yeah, and then I... they
0: tied it around her neck as like a calling card type of thing. Gotcha.
2: Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, the, the the only thing about the Kryptonian Skype is that they should be able to do it with handheld devices or this kind of technology, maybe even implants. And they shouldn't be payphones. I doubt a society of this advanced would still use money.
0: Exactly, uh, especially for only five, five units.
2: Exactly. Page... Uh, Eighteen. I love Wonder Woman's line here: "Go to hell!" Like she's this is her like Arnold Schwarzenegger moment. Go to hell. I (laughs) have a. That's not a gun. Page twenty. I think that the fighting between Mongol and Wonder Woman has sparked some of what's going on in the dream because it can be heard. But it's clear that Batman's voice is in the dream, which gives us hope that Superman. It's kind of like when, when I hear the alarm clock, but it just becomes part of the dream that I'm having.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Page 21, that Candor was still taken and shrunk is just awesome to me. That, that he doesn't just go to Kandor, but that it actually is still gone. It was taken and it was shrunk in Superman's sort of dream world. Page 22, what a turner. I love how this page ends, too. Where uh, Cal says to his son, Van, I don't think you're real it's kind of a scary moment and you can understand why even though Van is in Cal's head that it, it's real to Cal that Van would be scared by that so by page 24 we we are about two-thirds of the way through and the, the story on Krypton is now over and it, it's weird because it did have a clear ending but it was still in the middle of so many parts of the story and the thing is that's not a complaint it makes it more realistic to me that a dream would work out kind of like that, and that he he needs to get this thing off. There, there are a lot of plot threads that are that are left hanging, but that he wakes up from that dream is what really matters, and it it did not make the story any less compelling in any way whatsoever. So I I really dig that it's it's a it's a risky storytelling device, and it paid off. I thought. By page 25, the, the look of Superman, now that he's awake, standing over Robin with Batman on the ground with the Black Mercy on, on his chest. And he just says, who did this to me? And it is on. I love that moment. Like, no, you just messed with the wrong guy. Page 27, I'm, the, the Hulk gloves. I get a kick out of seeing them on Robin. That's all I can say. <laughs> They, they they are they're like they're like those Hulk gloves but, mm-hmm. but I dig, I digress totally yeah page 28 uh, do you understand what you did to me and this is basically what i remember the most about the story seeing it in justice league unlimited because he's basically given he was basically given a whole new life that was full of things to lose and he lost everything and that's that's what really makes This story powerful to me and on page 29, when he's just like, burn.
0: Yeah, and it says, shiz it. <laughs> before Snoop Dogg made it popular.
2: Yeah, and Michael Bailey and I have talked about how the whole thing with, with the glowing heat vision, like the, the heat vision kind of welling up in the in the eyes, was a device that wasn't used until the, the late 80s, but it's kind of what's happening here. Like, he's mm-hmm. building it up before he shoots it out, and uh, I've... I didn't realize that that had actually happened before. On page thirty-two, this is kind of a weird narration, but uh, but it works. The, the narration during the the battle scene. Hmm. Um. I. So it kind of works. Page thirty-five. I'm sorry, were you about to say something?
0: No. Uh, other than some of that narration makes me think Grant Morrison. <laughs> a little yeah, bit I can
2: see that page thirty five even without having seen the cartoon i I guess I would have seen it coming that Mongol would end up with the Black Mercy on his chest i I was not necessarily expecting it to be Robin who would do it, but of course he's not in the Justice League unlimited version page right. th- page thirty six great work, and this is how Mongols dreams need to be dealt with in a comic. But I actually prefer how it's done in the Justice League Unlimited series, where uh, you can't tell that it worked until afterwards. Uh, Batman is married to Kathy Kane, as we find out on page 37. And even in in his dreams, that could not happen in the current DCU. It's too sci-fi, like Chasing Amy. Uh, Page 38, I don't know of any nearby black holes, but it's not impossible but the really big black hole, I think it, it, scientists believe, is in the center of the uh, of the galaxy. So if Superman can fly from one end of the universe to the other, you know, go ahead and use the big black hole. I mean, that's what it's there for. It's for throwing away supervillains. And I, I can exactly. see Scott, I, I can see Scott Gardner liking that. Like, yeah, I could throw him into the sun, but oh, there's a black hole.
4: Come on. Yeah.
0: Well, exactly. into the sun would be murder. The black <laughs> hole. The... It's not Superman's fault. <laughs> right. It's the black hole ripping him apart or whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay,
2: oh, okay. And yeah, Superman's basically going to kill Mongol, which I don't really get. And I don't really understand why he's going to check on Kandor here.
4: I took it to mean that he had uh, recreated uh, a duplicate of the. Now, by now in large city and he was just putting it away just so Wonder Woman wouldn't realize that he already had one that's how oh, I took okay. it yeah.
2: oh I, I see it now okay that's, that's actually really funny now that I understand that just <laughs> I've always wanted oh yeah because it's for the man who has everything what do you get for the man who has everything well here's a little bottled city oh yeah I have one of those exactly And then this is the only part that I thought, um, it's not even a major complaint. I still give this a a 10 out of 10, but this is the the one small thing about the story that I, I think is less than perfect, that the rose was destroyed, but it just gets shrugged off. Oh, don't worry about it, Bruce. Perhaps it's for the best. I don't really get why that's important or why that matters or why he couldn't, still have the, the Krypton, the Krypton rose. It, it just doesn't matter, and it comes off like a throwaway, and it, it just bothers me. Page 40, great last page, totally fitting. He is content.
1: And yeah, that's I a like
0: lot. Alright, as far as my notes, uh, page 1, I like right away you know something's up, because as the captions clue us in, and some of the stuff you can tell from the pictures, this is Krypton, and we have kal as an adult So you know something's going on Because that's not a normal way to open a Superman story Pages 2 and 3 I love this scene with Robin meeting Wonder Woman for the first time And then the small talk they have going Walking into the fortress Just to kind of remind you that they're you know, just normal people They just happen to wear capes or have powers uh, Moving on Let's see Some of them I can skip because you guys hit them better than I did. Page six? Oh, wait. Nope. Hold on. I gotta go back again to page one. Page one. The last panel on page one, I think, and I I looked through it, tried to look through it again while you guys were doing your notes, I think the last panel on page one is the last time you see kal smile throughout the whole Krypton flashback.
4: Very good. I never noticed that. The
0: rest of it, he's just looking pretty sad or kind of angry when he's talking to Jor-El. Um, um, page six, uh, like you guys mentioned, I liked how he was married to Lila Larall, since she was probably the closest he ever got. Did he actually marry her in that Krypton story, or no. did he just get engaged?
4: Yeah, they were, they got engaged. Okay,
0: so he's she's probably the closest to a real true love that he had in the pre-crisis. Um, besides Lois.
4: Well, there was uh, the... Laurie Lamarris too.
0: Good point. He engaged, got engaged to her, too, didn't he? Uh, no,
4: I don't uh, think he got he proposed. engaged. proposed. She didn't accept. I think she cut it off before then, because then yeah. you know he found out she was a mermaid. But, yeah, he still kind of carried a torch for her even after that. Yeah.
0: Uh, Let's see. Yeah, all the way into the pre uh, post-crisis. It's crazy. Um, Page 9, which is... Uh, okay, we see after Cal leaves, we see Jor-el get all ticked, and he hits the, I guess the nest, and break the bird, and knock the nest off the fake tree, and then cry. But if this is all what Cal L is supposed to be seeing in the, in his vision of the Black Mercy, how is that being seen? Is that for our purpose, or is he actually kind of watching it from a third-person view? Since I also noticed that, basically, he's watching himself the whole time. I don't know. It's like he's watching a maybe he's like watching a soap opera. I don't know. Um, I I think it's still from his point of view. It's just that's for the reader to see it. Yeah, and I just noticed that all the flashbacks have a nice, they color the border red. That's interesting. Yes. Um, let's see, page 10. Uh, now, I believe, and the only thing I had accessible at the time was a couple of Re- Reign of the Superman issues that I was reading for from Crisis to Crisis, but it appears that, that the pre-crisis Mongol is about ten times taller than he would be post-crisis. He really towers over these guys, while at least from... The two issues I was looking at uh, from the post-crisis, he's taller, but not that much taller in the post-crisis. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think it's a style thing because there are artists who would draw him much taller as well. I mean, eventually you see his his son, and he's much taller as well.
0: Yeah, good point. Well, then. We'll see. In fact, I I didn't have a chance to go back. I know there's some DC Comics Presents issues that um, Superman and even Supergirl go up against Mongul, and I didn't have a chance to go back and do a size comparison with that. So, yeah, it very well could just be Dave Gibbons wanted him huge, but I do like how he keeps squatting to talk to them, and that the whole time he just considers Robin to be an insignificant little yellow creature. (laughs) He doesn't even talk to Robin. He talks to Batman, he talks to Wonder Woman, he talks to Superman eventually, but he never even talks to Robin. Um, Page 12. I like that after, at one point saying, uh, what exactly is that creature? Uh, Batman really isn't intimidated by Mongul. He actually is getting pretty ticked at him. But he never really backs down. And that's... It's pre-crisis Batman... He'd probably still do that these days anyway, but it's just a Batman thing. I liked, that. I liked it. Because um, he's way out of his ed- element going up against Mongol. Uh, pages 12 and 13 especially, especially and any image up here or in this whole book where they have these kind of up shots at Mongol's face, like on the bottom of page 12, I'm seeing a lot of kind of expressions and stuff that remind me of like some of the expressions I would see on his face in by Jerry Ordway or Dan Jerkins. I'm thinking that this issue was a big influence on how they drew Mongol during Exile and possibly even later into the death and return of Superman. Just a lot of the way the shadows fall across his face and stuff. That or Gibbons was just an influence on them both and or something, I don't know. It's just some of it, like, especially... One two three four. The fifth panel on page thirteen totally looks like something that could have been drawn by Dan Jurgens. But sometimes huh. someone else's artwork looks similar to someone else, so it could just be me reading too much into it. Um, page seventeen, when you see um, the parade for old Krypton, that really looks like a KKK
4: march.
2: Yeah, you're right. Which is yeah, kind of disturbing. Is
4: the, uh... Yeah, the, the they're holding the swords by the blade so that the handle of the sword is pointing up. So, yeah, it does look like a flaming cross. So, they look cross. like flaming
0: cross, and they got the tall hats and the robes. They're red, but other than that, they it looks like a KKK thing. And I like how some of the cops kind of look like Judge Dredd.
4: Yeah, I noticed
0: that, too. <laughs> nice. um let's see page and then i don't have a ton else up until page 26 uh well i did like that what you guys were talking about how um el finally seems to realize that this is fake and that coincides with him with batman being able to rip the plant off of his chest as krypton fades away and then page 26 i love how superman is like probably the most pissed he's ever been in a pre-crisis in fact he usually doesn't get very mad pre-crisis he's usually because he knows that he's got to control you know kind of control his emotions with the power he's got but here he is let's well, he's mad enough that he's shouting mongol's name and robin is flying away from the force of the sound huh. so And it probably shattered his eardrums, but he can still... He's got his hands covering his ears, so... uh, I've never seen him this pissed in anything I've read pre-crisis, so... Um, And then page 35, I love that after this huge fight, and after Mongol has trashed Wonder Woman and is beating up Superman to the point where he's just about got Superman to a point where he could die... It's Robin, the insignificant little speck from earlier, that ends up saving the day and stopping Mongol with the Black Mercy. Especially after all the crap he had to go through carrying that thing around and following the fight, that was pretty cool. And like you mentioned, Jeffrey, with the eyes thing, I I think it is probably this would probably be one of the the first time he's done the whole heat vision thing. And I don't know how it's colored on your version, but the pap- the print version mongol's hand is kind of red around or pink i guess around where his eyes are to in- to yes. s- indicate the glow so that's kind of cool and it actually if you go back to 25 when superman's doing the who did this to me i almost thought that he was doing the heat vision thing there too but his eyes aren't colored but everything else about superman's pink there so i wasn't sure yeah, Robin's not, not burning but. I'm not positive. I
2: I think it's just a sort of a style choice. But the coloring in here is really well done. I think. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, there there the are a lot of times in in styles. You especially see it in a lot of Batman books. That kind of coloring.
0: Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, I liked at the end, Batman's. I think I've mentioned. I've heard it mentioned on from Crisis to Crisis. But the bandaging is over the costume. But at least it's under the cape. For Batman so thankfully and and uh, the, the aliens I was the only other thing I was going to mention was the aliens at the, in the epilogue but Billy got those I'm almost wondering it almost looks like a possibility of the anti-monitor next to uh not in front of but like under Martian Manhunter's nose but I, I don't, don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't it's, look like. Kind of looked like it. This, but I don't think he would. E- was even in that, the armor at this point in Crisis. I think Crisis had start has been going on by now.
4: You know, yes. it kind of kind of looks a little bit like maybe Lex Luthor's battle suit had that huge. There you cattle. go.
0: Yeah, that could be it too. I hadn't thought of that. It could huh. be Luthor's battle armor. Or okay. it could just be some random thing that looks similar but isn't quite right. So I don't know. But yeah, I, and I think that's all the notes I've got for the comic. Great. All right. So, do we want to look at what else, the ads first, or go into the cartoon first? Um, let's
4: do the Let's do the ads first. Hey, uh, there's there's a couple of oh. as y'all were doing your notes. There's a couple of things I forgot to okay. mention on that first page on the prologue when he opens the door and they surprise him behind the two kids. You look. And there's crypto.
0: Oh yeah, on, a little on, older. On which page?
4: On page the very 1. first page, the bottom left panel when everyone surprises him when he opens the door. Oh yeah, look at that! Great. Aw. And when Charlie was going through his notes, I did. Uh, I've read this a couple of times. I did not notice it on on the next the very last panel when uh, you know his wife and kids are hugging him. Look behind uh, Allura. You see there's a the guy with red hair and freckles. He said it looks me. a lot like Jimmy Olsen.
0: Oh, cool. Huh?
4: Hadn't noticed that either.
2: Could be a, like a merging of realities, which is kind yeah. of th- the way it was played in the Justice League Unlimited.
4: Yeah. Yes. And um, like Lila's hair, up. failed to mention, I noticed this when I was reading this to get to prepare for We're recording. I believe in the original story, her hair was she was a blonde. But since this is Superman's dream, I'm not going to argue continuity with him.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point.
4: Um, and um, I had a when you were talking about, uh, on page Jeffrey on page 39 when uh, Batman held the the Dead Rose and. Yeah I see your point you thought it was like too much of a throwaway line. The other you know I could see your point the other thing I was thinking of though was you know after with Superman remembering how his dream went and how everything just uh went so so bad maybe it's not so much talking about the rose but maybe he's also thinking that maybe it's for the best that the Krypton well, was destroyed. Yeah, but the, that, the Krypton
2: in this case. Okay, I can see that.
4: And that's all I have. Okay.
2: Um, and we, also, and, and, uh, actually, we really should mention the Dave Gibbons pinup page after the yeah. letters.
0: Yes, uh, that's but, a
2: really great page, and I I think that Dave Gibbons totally nailed that one. And I I love the uh, sort of Aurora Borealis. Yeah. I, it is the North Pole in this continuity, right? Yes. Yeah, so so that's the Aurora Borealis.
0: Mhm. Um the only other thing I wanted to mention though um, that we were mentioning how Superman was basically killing Mongol since this is so close to the reboot this came out in June of 85 and I think mm-hmm. the reboot basically was released in what September of 86 I think. So um with less with just a little over a year left this would be the final fate of Mongol. So it's possible that maybe when they were writing it that way, they meant to do that. Although I don't know that they would have meant so much that Superman would be killing him too.
2: Uh, that's how I read it.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But I'm I'm thinking after the fight and the fact that he could deal with Superman and Superman could hit you know use his full force and not you know totally. Um, you know, smash them to pieces. That Mongol could probably survive a black hole. Gotcha.
2: Um. Really quick before we continue, we really do need to finish this up in the next hour. Okay. Okay. We can do that. There's, there's, right. there's plenty of time to make that happen. I, I just want to yeah. try and make sure that we stay on point. Okay. To, okay. Yeah. Thank you.
0: No problem. Okay, so going through the ads real quick. And Billy, uh, Jeffrey doesn't have a print version, but Billy can join me if he wants. Uh, first up, we have an ad for Hex coming soon from DC Comics, oh. which is a violent new world where old habits die hard. I believe this would be where Jonah Hex somehow gets transported to, the, like, a... Apocalyptic future Yeah Yeah and there's a bunch of alien guys running at him But he's standing there with his two six shooters And we've got
4: his point of view Yeah I've I've heard that that's what happened to the character, But I've never read any of these stories So I would have no idea how good or bad that they were
0: I haven't either I think I heard um, Scott Gardner said that they weren't bad I don't know that they were you know, as good as the older stuff in the Old West, but it wasn't terrible. Better than he thought they would be, maybe? I don't remember. I think he liked it, kind of, though. Um, uh, Across from page four, we get a Fig Newtons ad where we've got a maze where you're supposed to find your way to the Fig Newtons. And it looks like an actual, like, game board. So that's kind of cool. They have... Apple Newtons. I don't remember Apple Newtons, but yeah, they Fig Newtons and Apple Newtons.
4: Yeah, I, have no, I don't think I remember seeing a, Apple Newtons, just the Fig Newtons. I
0: can, yeah, maybe Fig Newtons with Apple... F- Usually, I thought it was like the different fillings, but they kept calling them Fig Newtons. But I don't know. Um, further in, across from page 11, we have Bonkers Fruit Candy. It's uh, Fruit Candy hits you with a new flavor... Watermelon. So now they have it in orange, grape, strawberry, and watermelon. It now bonkers, bonks you with watermelon flavor. Mouthwatering watermelon candy with an extra fruity middle. Fruit, Chewy fruit bonkers comes in strawberry, grape, and orange. Juice. And it looks like they've got some kind of candy on the outside and then inside is the actual fruity middle part. I don't know, it's red on here with the green outside layer, so yeah. And it looks like a nanny smushed by a watermelon. I guess she's been bonked. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Across from page 14, Billy and I were actually talking about this a minute ago. We have um, an ad for a two-part Sergeant Rock story from issues 405 and 406 called Angels with Black Wings. Put aside your prejudices. There's a war book that's different. Or here's a war book that's different. And they were fighting two wars. One in Europe and one back home. And basically what this shows is you've got what looks like a military guy with angels in the background. And in the foreground you've got basically what looks like a small town. It says Anytown USA. And one side of the page has black people. And the other side of the page has white people. Including the sheriff. With a... What looks like a bathroom sign that actually has a white only sign on it to show you the prejudices in the United States during this time. And it's all drawn by Joe Kubert, so it's not bad. It's not some of my favorite art, but it's actually pretty good.
4: Yeah, really. I've always liked Joe Kubert's art. Um, when I was a kid, I used to read some of his uh, work on the Tarzan books when DC published. Charzan for a while. Okay, so. okay. Yeah, I've always liked yep, his it. work.
0: I think I've mentioned those in some of the uh, elsewhere in the DC Multiverse bits. Uh, let's see. Now there's a while before any more ads. Uh, but before, but right after page 29, we have this funky little alien guy with four fingers and three toes that says, Shadim Daphis. Which apparently means that I traveled 369,484,278,025 miles for Reese's Pieces. And he's holding a whole bunch of little bag, baguettes of Reese's Pieces. And so he buys quite a few to take back with him. He says his mother loves the out-of-this-world peanut butter taste of Reese's Pieces. And so does huh, Zaitopov, his cousin. And apparently this guy these guys hang out with Mixius Pitilic. or Mixius Pitilic. <laughs> I was just thinking that <laughs> uh, let's see, and then across from page thirty two is one of the um multitude of ads pages where you get all the tiny little ads like self defense super bodybuilding, comic stores um what is ninja uh five twenty five for a hundred bags of comic bags for a hundred comic bags from Empire Comics in Rochester, New York. Uh, muscles buy some meteorites, buy some digital watches. And Bill Cosby says if you can't send you send money to the American Red Cross. And let's see moving right along. I guess this is probably the same as they would have put in a normal size comic so there aren't that so there's a lot of space in between them here. Um, then okay so at the, at the end when we get to after the pinup by Dave Gibbons we have your earn, earn famous name prizes or cash from Olympic when they had that Olympic hero guy and this is where if you sell a certain amount of items you could get certain prizes like um, let's see you could get a Kodak win, uh, winter pocket Instamatic camera outfit which is an outfit, it's just cameras uh some walkie talkies trample and it looks like an inflatable trampoline. <coughs> Excuse me let me say that a little more guyish. It uh, looks like an inflatable trampoline um gobots because they couldn't do transformers, so you got gobots, uh calculator watch, which actually looks a lot like one I used to have, which is said um Norelco styling brush racing s- a racetrack set portable television, that kind, all those kinds, radio control cars, you know, those kinds of things. And then the uh, inside back cover, we have the Meanwhile from that Dick Giordano used to do all the time. And I didn't get a chance to read through this, but I um, don't really have time to talk, look read through it right now. But in fact, anyway, uh, so that's something, and it also includes the DC checklist, which I'm actually going to kind of be getting to in a minute. And the back page has the Go Nuts and Play the Nutty Payday Instant Winner Game. Uh, apparently you can play this buying milkshake bars, butternut bars, chocolate, chocolatey payday bars, and zero bars. And you get grand prize is an Apple E computer system. Comes with... <laughs> It comes with 128K of memory.
5: That's right, folks.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You can put more on a floppy disk (laughs) than you can on the computer. (laughs) Includes a 12-inch monitor, extended 80-column card modem, a printer, and a mouse, and hand controls for games. So, yeah. This this thing... Oh, man. That is some power right there we're talking about less than a meg of memory so who
2: I, um, I remember in i think it was around 1989 there was an episode of superboy where clark was trying to impress this girl by saying that his computer had 8 megabytes of memory
0: <laughs>
2: of or, or no no um it it might have been 8 megabyte hard drive i'm not sure which oh okay Oh, even better yeah
0: actually um would have been, let's see, this was June of 85. Uh, This would be right before I got into kindergarten. So, I remember our school had, it wasn't color, it was you know, black with green on it. But we had an Apple computer that we used to play games on. It wasn't fancy like this. I don't know if it had this much memory. It didn't have a mouse or stuff. We had to use the keyboard.
2: Yeah, we we had an IBM. (laughs) Okay that I think might have had WordPerfect Volume 1.
0: <laughs> or point .5. Um, Maybe. <laughs> then 13 first prices of an AK System 7 Stereo, which not only has an amplifier, AMFM quartz tuner, auto-reverse cassette deck, linear tracking, turntable, so you can play records. Three-way speaker system, timer, equalizer, system rack cabinet, and speaker stands. Now that picture actually, it kind of looks pretty cool, but definitely what you would call old school these days. Um, I actually wish I could had something that play. you could use a record player these days, because I have records I can't play. Uh, second prizes were some bicycles from Murray. Uh, third prizes were Sports View Telescope, Fourth prize was a Minolta Disc 5 camera. I don't know what Disc 5 means, but it's a camera. Uh, Fifth prize was an Emerson AM FM headphone radio. Okay. And, or you could spell nutty and win one of 49,999 nutty t-shirts. Why they didn't have 50,000, I don't know. I'm guessing someone spilled coffee on one.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking.
0: And... Oh, and here's the best part. Keep in mind, folks, this is Superman number 11. This is one of the most well-known and famous of the Superman annuals. and It's an Alan Moore story, so that makes it even more famous. And back cover, there's a 17-cent-off coupon on any two of our candy bars that you can cut out and take to the store as long as you do it by February first, 1986.
2: So you better get on that.
0: You might already be late. Yeah, could be late by now. Um, Real quick, I was going to jump through the other books that came out this month before we go into the show. Let me get a drink of water. And as I've been doing lately, because going through everything takes time, I'm just going to highlight some of the um, superhero comics that DC put out that were on sale this month, June 1985. Uh, Legion of Superheroes had a Best of DC Digest, number 64. Crisis on Infinite Earth number six, came out by, of course, Marv Wolfman, George Perez, and at this point, I believe it should have been Jerry Ordway, yes. At last, the Neat. anti-monitor. And ironically, also this month, another famous excuse me, Alan Moore Superman story, uh, DC Comics Presents, number 85, where Superman teams up with Swamp Thing. <laughs> right. Which I believe is the one Superman gets some kind of... Uh, Kryptonian plant disease or something, and something has to help him out or something. Um, Dead Man number 5, which actually was one of the things that DC liked to do around this period, was take some of their famous stuff from the late 60s and throughout the 70s and reprint them um, on at a higher quality, basically on their new print system, which still wasn't very good, but Better than what they, the newsprint they were using So this one reprints An issue of Deadman's own series As well as a team up from, of, With Batman from Brave and the Bold uh, Let's see, and they also did stuff like that With uh, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow Stuff and sha- uh, Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers run On Batman, or Detective Sorry, Firestorm goes up Against the Weasel and Fury of Firestorm Number 39 Which sounds like an awesome name Aquaman and Mira are featured on the cover of Justice League of America number two forty-two, uh, and apparently Amazo, just to spoil everyone's fun, shows up. And this is, of course, when the JL the JLA had Gypsy, and Vixen, and Vibe, and the Denby Vibe. Zata- exactly. See, and uh, of course Zatanna and Dale Gun, Dale Dunn, Dale Gun. I can't read it. Um, So yeah, there's that There's Tales of the Teen Titans Number 57, which I guess focuses on Cyborg, since he's the Main point of the cover Uh, Vigilante number 21 Uh, Batman number 37 In which it appears he's going to unmask The Black Mask Uh, Flash number 349 Which is the penultimate issue of this volume of The Flash. This uh, There's only one more issue before that series of The Flash ends, before Barry Allen's time as Flash also comes to an end. Well, the first time, anyway. Legion of Superheroes, number 14, which is the higher quality version uh, featuring work by Paul Levitt, Steve Lytel, Lytle, and Larry Malsted. Uh The heat is on. Who will be the five new members of the Legion of Superheroes. Yay. Oh. Uh Teen Titans annual number one. Uh introduces the Vanguard. That's right. Uh Omega Men number thirty. Red Tornado number three from his what, six part mini series. Um Superpowers vo- uh, number one, I don't know which volume this is. Probably volume two, I think. Uh, featuring Jack Kirby drawing the members of the Superpowers team against Darkseid. Superman number 411, which is the special Julie Schwartz birthday issue.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Definitely got that one. Yeah,
0: me too. Ironically, also came out this month featuring the the same month as the annual featuring Superman's birthday. See how it all works, folks? Ah. Uh, And that was a special issue that people put all, all put together under Julie Schwartz's nose. Superman 411 was supposed to be what ended up in 412 And 411 featured a adventure Teaming Superman with Julie Schwartz And, of course, right in the middle of it They put some kind of a preview for another book So that was nice um, Well,
2: well, of course, he is a guardian of
0: the universe Of course And this was before he died, so Yeah, yeah. didn't happen well, to it as, Well, well as no, often. I mean,
2: the, the guardians of the universe Were made to look like Julius Schwartz Really? Yeah
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, that would account for the huge nose. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh, we got Batman and the Outsiders, number 25, uh, which I guess looks pretty cool. Blue Devil, number 16. Green Lantern, number 192, featuring a Sapphire story. Oh, You're almost to there, just, right?
2: We just covered that. Wait, it was just issue one. 192. Oh. Hold on, 192, give me just one second I've It's got called it. First oh.
0: Star I See Tonight it. Not quite
2: Hold on, 192 Is Yes, this issue Was Let's see Yeah, this is where you find out that um, Carol Ferris was um, We already found out that she was The Raptor, and here's where she becomes Star Sapphire, it's uh not a not a bad issue, but it's part of a horrible story. Fantastic! Oh, so oh, you've no, already covered oh, no.
0: it, or you haven't done it yet?
2: The, we we have we have done this one, and no, th- this is that issue where you find out that she's, that she was the Raptor. Oh, okay. It's just a pointment. It didn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I remember you guys not liking that.
2: <laughs> I think I went off about that enough. You, go ahead and just listen to that episode. It was probably episode uh, eight or nine of Green Lantern's Light yeah. at, at greenlanternslight.com. dot com.
0: Because it apparently was not part of Lynn Wein's original plan, and no. it was something that Inglehart decided to do. And he, yeah. okay, talk to Lynn Wein about that. Exactly. Uh, Hex number one, which I only mentioned because we just mentioned to add about it. Uh, Infinity Inc. number eighteen, featuring Todd McFarlane art on the cover which is interesting. Apparently they're on a Monopoly board. New Teen Titans number 12. And I'm going to clarify that. I did not say nude. New Teen Titans number 12. Because if they were nude, they would not be a good com. Well, actually. Anyway. Um, but, featuring but, Ghost Story. Published Hustler. What? Published by Hustler. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's see. Moving right along. Who's Who number 7 came out this month. Featuring looks like a lot of the E's, Elongated Man, Element Lad, and others, that Emerald Princess and stuff. Uh, Action Comics number 571, which has a really cool Brian Boland cover of basically a a Clark Kent robot doing the news, and half of his head uh, kind of falls apart. He kind of looks like a Terminator, or, I don't know, Cyborg Superman maybe. So that's kind of cool. Uh, All Star Squadron number 19, featuring uh, the squadron against. It's not coming up. There we go. Uh, the Wrath of Wotan. Wotan, who actually looks a little bit like the post-crisis Brainiac before um, when he's still Milton Fine. I don't know. It's just with me. Ambush Bug number. F- excuse me. Number four. Uh, Batman and the Outsiders, Annual Number 2. See, we're in the summer, so all the annuals are coming out. Um, let's see. Detective Comics Number 554, which I'm guessing this is also introduces Black Canary to the book as Batman and Green Lantern are holding up one of those um, circus ring things with the thing on. Anyway, she comes bursting out of it, similar to what Robin does in his first appearance. So that's interesting Tales of the Legion of Superheroes Number 327 Featuring Where a Villain? Question mark And let's see There's V uh, World's Finest 319 uh, To Dream Perchance to Kill uh, Wonder Woman 327 Is a, cross, a Crisis Crossover Featuring Wonder Woman And The End of Everything Begins and that's pretty much it for what else came out this month. All right, and we're going to stop things there for this part of the show. Uh there's still more to come though, uh as me and the guys also compare this to the Justice League episode, I'm sorry, Justice League Unlimited episode for the man who has everything. But now here is j david weir with superboy in the bronze age
5: the adventures of superboy exciting stories of superman when he was a boy who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of earthlings superboy who as clark kent mild-mannered foster son of martha and jonathan kent preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Hello,
1: welcome to Superboy in the Bronze Age. I am J. David Weider, normally looking at randomly selected Superboy stories. Now this episode actually starts a three-part look at the Midnight Massacre, which appeared in the treasury-sized DC All-New Collector's Edition C-55 Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes. This is a tale in four chapters that was on stands December 12, 1977. Written by Paul Levitz, with pencils by Mike Grell, inks by Vince Colletta, letters by Gaspar Saladino, and and colors by Jerry Serpe. Superboy rushes to the 30th century to witness the wedding of Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad, but when he arrives, the cityscape looks different. He is accosted by the science police, who are more hard-edged than he remembers, as, there are, as are the Legionnaires, who quell an attack on Metropolis by normally peaceful aliens. After trying to talk to Cosmic Boy about the changes, Superboy then visits Princess Projectra at the Legion HQ, and she explains that the UN disbanded in 1978, and there was a nuclear war, and now there is global paranoia. This doesn't match Superboy's normal history lesson, and he requests a Legion meeting after the wedding. And the wedding ceremony goes off without a hitch, but as the happy legionnaires, Legionnaire newlyweds are rocketing to their honeymoon, a fleet of starships attack the city and snatch Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad's ship. The ships leave a trail of radiation, including red radiation, that would rob both Superboy and Monel of their powers. And the Legion rallies to pursue, but Superboy urges them not to. If he's right about the twist in time, then that's the real problem they need to tackle. Wildfire, who is the Legionnaire leader... Tries to curb the discussion, but a handful of Legionnaires believe Superboy and stay behind as the rest of the Legion of Superheroes fly away to pursue their kidnapped friends. So jumping into the notes, page 4. It took me a moment to realize that what was throwing Superboy off in the future Metropolis was the mounted guns. Because they actually looked decorative at first glance, almost like flagpoles. Uh, Page 6. Imagine you're the Legion, and you've just arrived to see Superboy assaulting some science police. Who would look like the bad guy to you? And the Legionnaires actually take it pretty pretty lightly, to be honest. Like, Superboy, what are you doing? Get it together, hotshot. Uh, page 9, Superboy and Cosmic Boy, they both seem to be aware that something isn't right, but they can't communicate to one another, which is odd. Um, definitely intriguing. And on top of being one of the founding members of the Legion, Cosmic Boy was also one of the original three Legionnaires who greeted Superboy in our time. So these two actually have a history. And just remember that Legion was meant as a Uh, one-off. Superpowered teenagers from the future, kind of a cool idea for a one-shot story, but they just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they still support two titles today, which is, as of this recording, Legion of Superheroes and Legion Lost. Uh, Jumping to page 10... You say you want a dystopian future? Just add nuclear war. It's just like sea monkeys. And looking at the map, who would have thought that Oceania would become a world power? It's kind of an interesting concept, to be honest. I'm not even joking about that. Pages 12 and 13. This wedding spread is epic. And includes all the Legionnaires we talked about in the last episode. And also a little cameo by the creators of the book as well. And... It, it amuses me because this is actually a legitimate comic book event. These are two long-standing characters tying the knot and really coming of age and leaving the team. But we don't see the variant covers. Uh, they just made the event really huge with a treasury size edition. <laughs> see what I did there? But no, it's a legitimate piece of history. Comic book history and Legion history. So, uh, And then finally, page 19, Lightning Lass has a line about those of you with souls, let's go find Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl. Blow it out your flight ring. That's just harsh. And, you know, just already out of the gate, I already missed the Legion we know and love. And it's kind of awkward. So will Superboy and his ragtag group of Legionnaires succeed in fixing the twist in time? Let's take a look at Chapter 2, in which we find out that Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad have been captured by Oseldon Khan who wants to use them as a bargaining chip to get American ships to melt icebergs and form seas on the Chinese Empire's colony on the moon. The two Legionnaires fight back, though, and they take a cruiser from Khan's fleet. But alas, their escape has burned all of the fuel, meaning all they can do is land and die. Unaware of this, the pursuing Legion team stop a fleet of lunar patrol ships that would pursue Saturn Girl and her betrothed and then try to track the lost lovebirds. Cosmic Boy is able to use Lightning Lass's electromagnetic connection to her twin brother to find them at the last second, stopping Lightning Lad from atomizing himself and his bride. With the rescue completed, Wildfire vows that Superboy and his renegades will pay for potentially endangering this rescue effort with their insubordination. And so ends Chapter 2. And my notes begin on page 22. Does Khan have to be literally yellow? And he also has a Fu Manchu... The text makes a clear distinction between the Republic of China and the Chinese Empire, but we get a stereotyped character anyhow. That aside, pages 23 and 24, wow, Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl really took care of business. They just make short work of Khan's warriors. And I really want to quote to catch a predator here and ask Khan what you think was going to happen here today. Uh, page 27, Colossal Boy for the win in this chapter. He grows to an enormous size and smashes a Lunar Cruiser like a, a child would would smash a knockoff Tonka truck. That's just win all the way around, and I love Colossal Boy's costume. I've always loved this version of the costume. Uh, page 29, Lightning Lass is really getting on my last nerve. I know, I know, it's her twin brother at stake, but she's just being a total witch to everyone, including Dawnstar who was really working to track them and just came up with a dead end. It's not like she didn't put in the effort or try. She just wasn't able to complete it because things were thrown off her tracking sense. And finally, my final note is on page 31. The day is saved, the danger is over, and now. This is when Wildfire gets mad at Superboy and vows that he'll get his revenge. Where did that even come from? It seems very misguided because Superboy didn't take the best tracker, which is Dawnstar. So, how did he endanger the mission? If anything, I'll be honest with you, this particular group had the Legion members best suited for a, you know, search and rescue mission. I mean, Donstar, as I mentioned, is the best tracker. Cosmic Boy has all the magnetic powers. He can rip ships apart. I don't understand the problem. But, now, overall, I really enjoyed seeing some awesome Legion action. I think Mike Grell's art is phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to chapters 3 and 4 in the next two episodes, and I really hope you are too. But until then, this is J. David Weeder with Superboy in the Bronze Age, sending you back to Mr. Charlie Niemeyer.
0: And thank you, David. Alright, well, that's going to wrap it up for this time. Next time we'll have part 2 of this episode, which will include, well, basically us talking about the Justice League animated version. Uh, Beyond that, we'll also get the answers to the super question of what is your favorite Superman story. Don't forget to email us at superbronze1970 at gmail.com and or... Go on to the Facebook fan page or the group page and answer the question there. So thank you all for listening. You all have a great week, or a couple weeks actually, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Wheeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman of the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
2: You can hear our show on Stitcher
3: Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand
2: and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the
4: smarter way to listen to radio.